Empire podcast this week, we have a good old natter with Camden's finest. Yes, it's the stars of Eternals, Kamel Nanjiani and Salma Hayek, who don't actually have any scenes set in Camden. Plus, we also talk to Kentington's finest, Kristen Stewart, star of Spencer, a.k.a. the new big screen Princess Diana. How exciting. All that and more on the movie podcast that is furious genuinely furious that the newly installed Coca-Cola Fendi machine downstairs here at Empire HQ is already broken. I need my fix of Coke Zero, you absolute monsters. It's my lunch, Coke Zero and a Twix. Hello. We really need to talk about your diet, Chris. Yes, we do. Need more Twix. More Twix. <laughs> mm, Twixes are great, though. What did you bring Who me? picks a Twix? I mean, honestly, I like, there are other... Proper chocolate bars Twixes in that machine. are amazing. What are you talking about? It's neither sweet biscuit. nor biscuit, but some weird hybrid beast in between. You eat the Twix. No. Does anyone else do this? Mm-hmm. So if you if you strip a Twix down to its component parts. Hi everybody, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire <laughs> Podcast. Uh, this week I'm delighted to be joined as ever in studio by my three colleagues of such lethal cunning geek queen Helen O'Hara. Hello. Great big fucking nerd James Dyer. Hi. And the 47th best dressed man in show business, Amon Warman. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> right, Twix. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, does anyone else do this? You strip a Twix down to its component parts. So if you take off the chocolate, and then you're left with a... How are you a, taking off the chocolate? Are okay, you skinning just, it? No, are no, you no, just say it? For example, are you licking no, no, no. Just say, for example, that strip the chocolate off in your mind. Okay? That's filthy. You can do that. Uh, we're in Canada. I'm not objectifying a Twix that way. <laughs> oh, well, oh, two fingers. No oh, way. my God. Two fingers, no waiting. Come on. Don't even get me started on a Kit Kat. Double the fingers, double the fun. Oh, no. Any- Come on, guys. Anyway, so just How imagine. How you eat yours? Imagine that the Twix, that's, 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 what is that? Cream egg. Yes, Cadbury's. Mm. Twix yeah, is Mars. proper chocolate, except they don't use dairy milk oh, in the cream eggs. They use pikey okay, chocolate in the cream off, eggs, but we're that's getting a whole off other topic. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, yeah, now that Hershey's bought Cadbury's, yeah. we're. Oh, don't. Yeah. 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 So imagine that a Twix has been stripped of all this chocolate, sure. right? So then you basically what you have is you shitty have, biscuit. You no, know, you have a layer of shortbread, mm-hmm. and on top of that, you have a layer of caramel. But yep. have you ever noticed that every few, like I guess, centimeters on a mm-hmm. Twix, because they're much smaller than they used to be, there is a little ridge, a little hole filled with chocolate right there, right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed that? And so what I used to do, because I, I can't do it um, as much these days uh, for some reason, age, I guess. Uh, I used to just try and space out my bites. So I'd bite right in the middle of that little chocolate ridge. Wow. And that would give me a special glow of satisfaction if I managed to <laughs> do it. And you call him a nerd. Wow. <laughs> um, did you, this is fascinating that we're having this discussion It's this fascinating week for, for us and for the people listening at so home. so fascinating because it was on Bake Off. They had to essentially make Twixes did on they? Bake Off this week. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Twixes, really hard to make. Yeah. Everybody fucked up. Why bother? Yeah. There's better chocolate out there. No, I mean, like, that, that's look, shortbread plus caramel plus biscuit, that is a solid combination mm. of ingredients. Okay, let, let's get to the important stuff here. Are we fridges or non-fridges? For non fridges? Not for a Twix. No, 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 for all confectionery. No, 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 no. Non-fridge. I'm all about the fridging. Penguins, you oh, put that, in a well, fridge. That doesn't surprise me. A penguin, me. a penguin. <laughs> a, I mean, don't even get me I mean, started on penguins. I mean, they live in the cold. So also, they thrive. Awful, awful, awful biscuits. Yeah, First, awful sorry, sorry, Fruit club sorry. pisses all over a penguin, sorry. and you know it does, as does a breakaway, but you that's not anymore. You have come in here <laughs> with your biscuit nonsense <laughs> right off the bat. Sorry, you've you've dismissed and denounced a Twix yeah. and now a penguin? 100%. Penguins are Fuck shit. Fuck you. Uh, penguins, the penguins birds are, are shit. No, the birds are fine. No, it's the, the fucking biscuits shit. I have issues with. And like Tim Tam is just a shit Australian penguin, so that can go away. Although they have they have some nice iterations they on the do, basic yeah. Tim Tam formula. Mm-hmm. So I'm there for the kind of punky Tim Tams, but just not your flat, out of the box, Commodore Garden Tim Tam. Like, not having that. 
Amon, where do you stand on biscuits? Um, I am very, very picky when it comes to chocolates and Everything. biscuits. Of course you are. You don't, you don't keep that figure. You don't clean that body without being picky about what you eat. Am I right? Am I, am I right? It's, uh, it's, should I go to HR? I should go to HR. Should go to I should HR. go to HR. Yeah. It's, it's part pickiness and part me being allergic to stuff because I'm allergic to nuts and a lot of chocolate bars have nuts in them. So I'm very picky. I'm very much uh, dairy milk, Cadbury. Yes. Simple. Yes. I mean, man. Like, we can all yeah. get behind that. Yeah. Good man. Yeah. yeah, I think most biscuits like Walt Disney are better refrigerated, but I would not refrigerate a Twix because I'm not but, a monster. Just if you are going to separate into its component parts, as I, as a child, used to do a lot with Mars bars. You used to like to strip off the caramel. Oh, and then like, yes, I used it. to yeah. love doing yes. that. Like doing that. It needs to be cold. If it's, yeah, it's easier it needs to be cold. when it's refrigerated. So if yeah. you're going to strip yeah, down a Twix to its component yeah. parts, mm-hmm. refrigerate it first and make your life a lot easier. But then why would you? Because then you just have bits instead hey, of having a Twix. Chris is the sociopath. He likes to objectify <laughs> his chocolates and like strip his Twix, which is not a euphemism. Um, I also used to do the same with Kit Kats. I know I do the same with What's Kit Kats. What's to strip? It's just wafer no, you and can, a little bit you, of chocolate. You, you nibble off the chocolate around the edges yeah. and then the wafers kind of just come apart in your mouth. See, oh, I did that with so clubs. Good. You know the clubs? I used to chew around the edges of the club and take off because the, the chocolate would overlap the biscuit by quite a bit. So you could take off the chocolate around the edge of the club. Yeah, because there's a lot of chocolate in those. Yeah. Because if you like a lot of chocolate in your biscuit, on you your should biscuit, join join oh, Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Listen, we should talk about film at some point because we're doing we're falling into that classic <laughs> trap uh, of not talking about film in a film mm. podcast. And I can just imagine someone listening to this for the first time is going what the fuck but someone will probably leave a review going listen to the empire film podcast for the first time ever they were talking about biscuits and refrigeration for 10 minutes straight honestly nonsense uh so let's get into a question instead shall sure. we should we have let's a listener question let's do it. yes because even though there's four of us we're in three fact structure although i do have a good fact oh no I do not have a fact, but also you didn't tell us there was a question or what the question was. Yes, I did. I sent it to you today and you just refused to read the text as you so often do. Is this true, Helen? It is true. It is true. Shit. Nine (laughs) times out of ten, you don't read our messages. There's not that many of us. We've had a lot of, lot of nonsense in that chat, so it's quite easy to miss things. (laughs) Don't blame us for your lack of professionalism. Uh, This question comes from at Thomas Mansbo. Other than Shang-Chi, what is the best karaoke scene in a film? Ooh, there was also another good one recently in People Just Do Nothing, big in Japan. Correct. Yes. Yes, very, very good, good one. Um, All right. Yeah. So, should we have another question? <laughs> <laughs> the one which immediately came to mind for me with this is Rush Hour 2, um, which has Chris Tucker doing Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Uh, it is very, very funny because he has to go on stage because the guy who is doing it is completely butchering it. And Chris Tucker is just having none of that. And then he gets on stage and he kills it. It's uh, awesome. <laughs> If I remember correctly, the movie Duets, um, which of course I recently talked to Huey Lewis about. That's um, correct, yes. Is all built around karaoke and, and sort of competitive karaoke. And I remember mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow being very good with him in that. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, at the singing at least, the film is just okay. Oh, come on now. Come the, the, on. The film, like it's fine, but um, I think that, you know, th- their, their little storyline and the sort of estranged father-daughter thing is actually really nicely played. Mm-hmm. But the film itself is a bit like, eh. What is it about karaoke that works cinematically? Why why does it work? Why do we keep oh, going back to it? and we forgot um, My Best Friend's Wedding. We did not forget that. We just hadn't mentioned it yet. Then oh. we hadn't mentioned it yet. My Best Friend's Wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is one reason that it works. So you have a normal person who cannot necessarily perform brilliantly getting up and trying to perform anyway. And uh, either they're brilliant and it's incredibly impressive or they're kind of chaotic and mad and, and not very good, in which case it's it's fun and relatable. 
So I, yeah. I feel like it's actually quite a nice thing sometimes. It is fun. It is relatable, isn't it, karaoke? We've been planning to go karaoke for quite some time now. We need to sort that out. Quite some time. Mm. Uh, Jimbo, I hope you can join us. I would say for karaoke, I mean, I know that karaoke scene lost in translation is probably one of the more famous ones. He wasn't ones. listening, wasn't he? Wasn't listening. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, not even slightly. No. No, I wasn't, I wasn't listening actually at all. Was that, was that, did I, was that not a seamless, I no. slipped back into the conversation as if I'd never left? No, it sounded like a really bad edit. So you're asking me to actually join you for karaoke, that's actual karaoke, yes. as opposed to join you for this question, which frankly, I'm phoning. Too late, yeah. Um, yes. Will I join you for karaoke? Maybe. <laughs> we actually haven't been for years we no. used to do this quite regularly but it's been what about five years I would say since we did an office karaoke um, it yeah. would have been because it would have been Terry's first Christmas as it were Terry's first Christmas, <laughs> Terry's first Christmas <laughs> which is a lesser known straight to TV movie uh, yeah yeah, uh, yeah it would have been that one yeah, yeah. But if I want to answer this particular question, I would say maybe Caitlin Diva in Book Smart doing Alanis Morissette yes. that was also on my list that's pretty yes. epic great yeah. one that is pretty good which Terry, incidentally, did that exact song at that particular oh, fated awesome. uh, karaoke Which song? Night. Yeah, you ought to know. I know I ought to know, but what song is it? <laughs> oh, I walked straight into that <laughs> shit joke. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I, I literally have one hand in my pocket right now. This I is know, so you actually do. You <laughs> actually do. And the other one hailing a taxi yeah. cab. And let me isn't tell it, you, that's isn't ironic. ironic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 10,000 spoons, all you need is a knife. Oh, God. Which is, of course, how Crocodile Dundee actually died. <laughs> Uh, anyone else? Any more for any more in terms of karaoke? Uh, I will say that my my wide and comprehensive knowledge of of cinema, <laughs> aided and abetted by a quick Google, has also thrown up when Harry met Sally. Mm. Uh, yes, in the, the shop. Dem, dem, oh, dem, the embarrassment. Dem, 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 with a friend, John Top <laughs> from yep. Oklahoma. Well, I have one for Helen. Of course, you remember that weird period in Angel. Where Lorne <gasps> yes. could tell what was going on if people sang if people karaoke, sang, you could like could... read their karaoke aura or something. Yeah. And so you had David Boreanaz doing really awkward karaoke there. It was yeah. a really good karaoke in the leftovers. Hmm. Oh. I wouldn't have thought that. Yes, and there was a really good karaoke themed uh, episode of Inside Number Nine. Hmm. Did you see that? Anyone see that episode? I Quite did not. Fun, fun episode. I don't of... do fun. <laughs> yeah, we like karaoke, don't we? We we mm-hmm. oh, do enjoy it. It's yeah. a giggle. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's fun. fun. Yeah. The, the trick is just to figure out what your range is and sing and songs. And then do something are... wildly outside it, as I tend to do when I do Tina Turner's Goldeneye. You are very good at Goldeneye. You are, but generally I mean, it's speaking, problematic. it's wildly <laughs> problematic. It's upsetting, I it's, believe. It's, it's the yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. That sound you can hear, even though Tina Turner is not dead, is <laughs> Tina Turner spinning in her grave. <laughs> I think it's the backing yeah. track. Is I'm I'm looking forward to karaokeing with all of you as I'm told you, Chris, just make sure the talent scouts are in attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Then I'll be, and, I'll be and remember, Amon, you're not allowed to drop the mic well, if you're cool, over a lar- <laughs> you know, a hard floor. Okay. Yeah, so you have to that's bring really your own mics. Yeah. Yeah. Like a steady supply of mics. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to drop it, then, then, you know, you okay. need to bring your own. Yeah. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, and uh, James not attending. Uh, obviously, <laughs> there are other karaoke scenes, but we're not going to mention them all because then it gives you guys an excuse to shout at us on Twitter <laughs> saying, how did you forget about Jim Carrey and the cable guy, etc., 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 and so on and so forth. But the scene that um, sparked this question was in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten mm, Rings, which has a, super a, cute. a couple of karaoke yeah. scenes. Just lovely. Oh, I, I just I miss it. I miss karaoke so much. Mm, so much. It's so much fun. I've karaoke in Japan. That was great fun. Mm, big in Japan. 
I karaoke once in New York with Stevie Wong, who's a friend of the podcast, and that mm-hmm. was great fun. And I tell you that they had they the song selection was so much better than it is over here. They had really? they had so much stuff that you're just going through it. They had um they had they had the theme from the Golden Girls. So I had to oh, do that. that. I mean, that's that's I had on. to do that. Wait, they don't have that here. No, in the they don't have it here. <gasps> they have loads of stuff that they didn't have over here. They had um they had a theme from the Golden Girls. I remember doing that, and I remember uh, they had the theme from Minder. Dennis Waterman, I Could Be So Good For You, theme from Minder. And let me tell you, folks, if you launch yourself into that song, uh, it gets a lot higher than you think. (laughs) You see, this is the kind of thing that people need to know when they're doing karaoke. You need to know, for example, that you do not touch John Bon Jovi songs. You do not go near Bono. Don't even think about Bono or Prince. Their ranges are bigger than your range. Also Queen, unless you're Sam Toy. Um, uh, Yeah, Sam Toy, uh, late of this parish, uh, did did Queen. Not late. No, he's still alive. But he's, uh, you know, a long way away now. But he 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 used to do... He might be dead for all we know. Well, he wasn't this morning. He posted on Instagram. How convenient, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds to me like someone's trying to establish a fancy alibi. For me? No, I haven't seen Sam in months. From season three of You, haven't you? Mm. No, I haven't watched it yet. Anyway, my point was, know your your ranges. Mountain ranges and also singing ranges. Mm -hmm. It's important. It is important. (laughs) <laughs> All right. If you want to have your questions read out on the Empire Podcast, then you can get in touch with me on Twitter. That's the only game in town right now. Uh, so do send in your questions to at Chris Hewitt, or you can slide into my DMs, or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Should we have a guest? Sure. Why not? Who should we have? We have Kristen Stewart. Yes. Right. Or Kamel Nanjiani and Salma Hayek. Ooh. Let's go uh, Eternal. Eternals? Yes. There you Eternals. Go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All Happy right. with that. All right. So, Kumail Nanjiani, Salma Hayek, they are two of the Eternals, which is the new, I guess, super group. Not in a <laughs> Traveling Wilburys kind of sense, but in a Avengers kind of sense that are now gracing the MCU uh, as of this week in Chloe Shao's Eternals. Salma Hayek plays Ajak, who is the Leader of the Eternals, which uh, is a group of immortal warrior beings who were sent to Earth to pro- <laughs> to protect mankind from the deviants. Correct. Hasn't worked. They're still in government. <laughs> but, bit of bit of political satire for you there, folks. <laughs> yep. Other political parties are available. Um, so she's Ajak. Kamel Nanjiani is Kingo who is, uh, what would you say, he is one of the, the, he's the swaggering showman of the group. Yeah. So the film picks up in the present day and he has reinvented himself as a Bollywood star. And he can also fire kind of laser bolts from his fingers. So they were paired for this this interview, uh, which I did with them on Zoom last week. And it was, it was just in the run up to Halloween, which is why there's an awful lot of Halloween costume chat in this. Uh, I will say we've had Kamel on the podcast a number of times. Always fun talking to Kamel Nanjiani. Salma Hayek, we've had on the podcast a couple of times as well, and I'd forgotten what a force of nature she is. She is incredible. Two of them are great together. Had a load of fun, and I hope you guys do too. Here we go. Kamel Nanjiani and Salma Hayek, do please enjoy. Hi, Salma. Hi, Kamel. How's it going? We're happy to be here talking to you. Yeah. Good. I I thought you would be wearing a Halloween-themed shirt, and you were not. I'm, I'm a disgrace. I've let the side down, haven't I? 
It is red. It's full of blood. Okay, there it is. And it's a Ridley Scott movie, so it's technically... Okay, what movie is it? It's Alien. It's an Alien t-shirt, so therefore oh, it's a horror that film. Perfect. That's yeah. right. That counts. Like, we just can't see it with the framing. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll just try and hold it up. It says Nostromo. 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 Okay, there you go. Right, right, okay, right. fine. I mean, I in, in fairness, Camille, you're not wearing a Halloween costume either, so... This is me. This is my Halloween but costume. But it is purple. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, witchy. It's, it's witchy. a little bit... <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I wasn't aware that was the challenge, but uh, but maybe I'll go away, and by the end of the interview, I'll have a Halloween costume. Salma, are you a Halloween costume person? Not really, you know, not really. Uh, in Mexico, we celebrate more the Day of the Dead. Yeah. But I do remember, like, in, in, in LA, it's a big thing. And I never really got it, and I really mm. don't like to be afraid. But I remember one time, uh, some friends convinced me to get dressed up and go out and we we're going to be a group people. And I didn't know what to wear. So I, w- I got very excited and I got on the internet a chicken outfit, <laughs> like a chicken with the feet. And I thought it was super cool. It was full of feathers. A chicken and they, with the feet? Like a chicken? You, yeah. Like you had and, the and chicken the, feet. Yeah. And I had the, I had the, the lines in the things and my friends came oh, to pick me up and they all look like Playboy bunnies. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you can't go out like I that on Halloween. They look better as a It's become like a sexy <laughs> thing now because they're like, no, no, this is ridiculous. I said, it's Halloween. I wanted to be a chicken. And they're all like so sexy. Like if you're a nurse, you're like the super, yeah. they look so hot. And it's like a, it's it's kind of an excuse to be hot on that day in LA. Yeah. <laughs> they make <laughs> me change. <laughs> That's amazing. So just to just to clarify, because I'm I'm fascinated by this, were were you inside the chicken costume or was it one of those costumes where it looks like you're riding a chicken? Have you seen those? No, 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 no. No, but I'd love to see it. No, I was a chicken. She is the chicken. I she it was chicken. kind of short under the knee, and then it had this the 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 like the, the lines socks the with the lines. I was a chicken. I had the chicken head that had a mesh on the eyes, you know, and then he had yeah. the feet that I was terrified to wear. I was pondering about the feet because for sure I was going to fall on it. Yeah. I would be the fallen chicken like yeah. every other step. And they were shocked when they saw me, but I was shocked when I saw them. She was the chicken, Chris. <laughs> no, I had to check. They made me change. They were embarrassed to work with me. All right. And was anyone an egg or, you know, which which comes first, the chicken costume or the egg costume? That's what I, I need to know. Oh, the chicken costume came first, but the egg never became fertilized no, because, I just, <laughs> it, wasn't sexy because it was not sexy enough. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Let's just Halloween sorted. Uh, oh, is that all the questions you had planned to ask us, Chris? That's it. That's it. We're, we're now just going to sit in silence. in LA for you. <laughs> it's good. Good. Camille, you're a massive geek. So you must have, I don't know how we're talking about Halloween, but you started it. It's your fault. Do you, have you ever properly geeked out on Halloween if you worn a really ridiculous costume? I find it too stressful because, you know, I'm a comedian and I have a lot of friends who are comedians and everyone gets very clever with their costumes and all this. And, and I can't, I, I sort of get like writer's block when it comes to Halloween costumes. So I always end up throwing something together at the end, like, well, what if uh, Jason was a Republican or something like that? It never, <laughs> it, it never, I never do a good job. It's always shoddy. Emily, my wife does a better job. Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you something? I'm excited about this, the 
Eternals Halloween costumes. Because at the premiere, there were a lot of the fans were already dressed in the costumes you can say they made at home. So it'd be interesting to see how many people are going to dress up as us. Yeah, and great, great segue to the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Eternals. Eternals out on November 5th, I believe. Is is that correct? correct. My father's birthday, by the way. Wow. No way. You're interested. That's amazing. He thinks we did it on purpose. Has he seen it? He saw it. Yeah, but he was upset that we didn't do the premiere the day of the release, the day of his birthday. Did he see it in L.A.? Yeah. Oh, he was there. And, you know, can I say something? He got kicked out of the theater. (laughs) What? Yeah. Why? He managed. Because he came in, we're at the Capitan. He's never been to this movie theater. And I said, I used to bring Valentina here when she was little. It's like a landmark of L.A. And he starts filming the place and then the movie starts. And in his head, it's like, oh, here comes the movie. Let me get her name on the screen. And he's like actually filming the screen because, you know, he's coming from Mexico, from my little town. What's They don't know about the Marvel rules. And he says, I'm going to get the name. (laughs) And he saw some letters and like, my father is very short. Okay. Like me. Okay. And uh, this huge marble bodyguard showed up and he said, excuse me, sir, you have to come with me. And I'm like, what? And yeah, he has to follow us. And he's like, why? This is what was happening behind us because he was right behind us. And I was like, what is going on? Yes, they took my father. The police, the marble police took my father. (laughs) Have you you seen him since? Where is he? He came back. He came back. He said, I said, it's everything. Okay. He said, yeah, yeah. They erased my phone, but they were very polite about it. No. (laughs) No. That's oh, yeah, I said, I said well, is this a felony? I mean, what kind of? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Marvel it's game. a felony, but he's your dad. It's okay. It was only one, it was only one minute of the beginning yeah. Of lines. Yeah. All right. And it he, he wasn't away. going to upload it to YouTube. This isn't how people are going to see Eternals no, with your dad's yeah. shaky yeah. cam. Yeah. Right. That's, not, that's not the right way. I saw it last night in the IMAX. That's exactly. the way to see it exactly. on November 5th, Salma right. Hayek's dad's birthday. That's how you should celebrate that day. And you know, I, I I thought the film was absolutely terrific, guys. And the the it's it doesn't do the usual superhero thing, not even the usual Marvel thing, but it's a it's a movie that's not about necessarily who's got the biggest superpowers or who's got the biggest gun. It's a movie about well, a lot of things, but it's a movie about compassion and love. Yeah. And how those things, if you if we all come together, if we all love one another and have compassion for another, we can save the day. And it's done in a badass way. Badass compassion. <laughs> That's like exactly that. right, because we have like sort of the more traditional superhero in it who's sort of more beholden to duty or or dogma or whatever it is. And then you have the 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 other character who's really leads from compassion and empathy and love. And it really is sort of between that. You know, it's like what what's more important, community or doctrine, you know, whether it be religious, political, whatever it is. Um, And we've lived through a year where we've realized the importance of community, hopefully. Well, we haven't realized it, but we should have. Yeah. And and the other thing that's very interesting is I believe that superhero movies, this is my own crazy theory, okay? Bear with me. All good. That uh, people are fascinated, but we are fascinated by superhero movies because deep inside, whether it's conscious or not, 
we all know that we're only using three to 10% of our brain. Okay. Oh, not even and that all, for me. <laughs> yeah, some people don't even get that. <laughs> but there is this wonderment, even if it's like subconsciously, what else are we? What, mm. there, what else is there? What more is there that we have not discovered about ourselves? Right. And as the times get harder, you more want to know this. And I, I do believe that there must be some superpowers that, la, la, you know, live inside of a brain that we don't use. And so we're fascinating about our possibilities as human beings. And what I love about this movie is that the superhero and the superpowers are not just about battle. Mm-hmm. Half of half of us is about battle and he's mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. But, but in a good way. Half of us is more nerdy. He's not part of that and uh the it, it includes not only because of the diversity of the film and i'm not only talking culturally but also because of the superpowers the inventor mm-hmm. the one that create can create illusions and transformation or just heal yeah. um yeah. or or mind you know Mind control, mind. So it has a very interesting variety of superpowers. And Mm -hmm. I think people will feel more included in it, in that part too. You mentioned dogma there and doctrine as well. And there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot going on beneath the surface of this movie. And and Ajak, your character, Salma, is someone who is, without getting too much into spoilers, is someone who's bought into a way of life and a way of thinking for quite a long time and is maybe beginning to push against that. And Kingo is someone who is very firmly infested in that. So you must have had an awful lot of interesting philosophical discussions and really on set with with Chloe and with the rest of the cast, going over this, going over the nature of of faith and belief and what it means to stick to your guns. I you know, I had a lot of conversations with Chloe about you know, Kingo makes this decision at some point in the movie that is a pretty weird decision to happen in a superhero movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so I talked to Chloe a lot about it to understand. And she said that she thinks his decision is the only real moral decision and that he sort of contains within his character uh, both sort of philosophies of the movie, which is intellectually, you can understand what the moral thing to do is. But then there's compassion, right? Uh, and his compassion is what um, from. So, so, so that was for me. It was sort of hard to understand what. Watch it. Oh my God, he's the police. The that's right. Police is coming to. You're place, right. Okay. See, well, you, you guys are fine. They'll come for me. Okay. No, I'm the one talking. He's exactly right. But, but, but. I'll Not just that say, we're paranoid. I'll give you an edit point. You know, very good question, Chris. Thank you for asking. I'll start my answer right now, which is I think in talking to Chloe, I realized that he contains sort of both points of the philosophy, which is the intellectual morality and duty and dogma and doctrine versus the compassion uh, he has for his. Let me make it short. <laughs> King always finds the way to please everyone. That's Kingo for you. And what's interesting about this very philosophical discussions with <laughs> Chloe is that at the end of the day, she cast, she cast a character, uh, actors or human beings, really. He, I don't think we were cast because of our 
body of work as actors, but we work as more for who we brought as human beings. And for most of us, she casted people that are very similar. And uh, Kingo is always this like full of life guy that it has this great sense of wonderment and loves to be loved. I think that's that's very, very that's exactly right. Because she did, Chloe did say, like, I cast you because I wanted you to be this. Yeah, you're not, too. yeah, Ajak is Selma. So we have this philo- philosophical things where she's just kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, like, that's okay. exactly who you are. So don't pretend that you're, it, right. quite, you know, conflicted by what you have to say. <laughs> So you so you're not necessarily having those philosophical discussions on set. You're probably doing improv well, we games. Did. And- That's the funny oh, we thing. Did. We okay. did. And she always knew it was just us, but sometimes we didn't want to know that it was us. That's right. <laughs> we wanted to pretend like we were playing other people. Yeah, we try, we're trying to be actors. Yeah, we'd be like, how do we do this? And she's like, how would you do it? Like, okay, all right, I'll just do it that way. Um, I actually had a line that got, cut out of the film and I'm really sad because we had a lovely scene where I say, okay, you do you, Kingo. And I just love that. Line <laughs> that was a very nice we were yeah. horses. I took horse riding lessons for six weeks and then the sucked at it. He sucked at it. I, it's a scary and it's not even in the movie. It's not in the movie. Oh man, because I, I was gonna say without going into spoiler territory, because you know Kamel is obviously the, the the spoiler jockey in this conversation, just throwing out spoilers like Pez, just here's a spoiler, there's a spoiler, everywhere a spoiler. I'm not gonna spoil anything. But I will say that obviously you guys have lots of scenes together in the Eternals group, but not so much Ajax Kingo. No, no two handers. We did. Okay. We had, we had one. I mean, you know, there are. It's ten a long of us. movie. It's yeah. A, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not in the movie. They couldn't make it longer. It's a. It's ten of us, you know. So. But yeah. there will be bloopers, so maybe we make it there. Yeah, yeah. I know that Chloe was doing that the yeah. other day. Yeah, see, that's a shame because there hasn't been a blooper reel on a Marvel movie yet, and I feel that Eternals oh. tonally would be a great fit. I wonder if we have outed Chloe and the Marvel police is going to come and get her. I mean, there's Marvel police in this room. <laughs> they don't have to come very far. Yeah, I think they're about six feet away. Yeah, this is true. Then you have to go to Marvel court and you have to get a Marvel lawyer and it all gets very complicated and, and nobody wants that. Yeah, uh, they have one like that at Disney for the people that uh, or like Disney uh, jail. Yeah. There is there, Disney there is jail. Shoplift. Not because I've been there, but I do have a friend who ended up there. In Disneyland jail? Yeah. There is a Disneyland jail. <laughs> now we're a part of Goofy, Disney, Goofy's the warden. Oh, how do you know? See, I didn't have all those details. <laughs> what well, what happens? How do you get into this Disneyland jail? I mean, I don't want to know. Do I? Do you just go and... My, my friend got there by, by shoplifting as a 10-year-old. Not 12, I think. I don't know how old she was. It happens. There's a lot of great <laughs> stuff and not everyone has a lot of money. I've got to let you guys go in a second, but I want to ask about the the rest of the experience of, of working with, with Chloe Xiao, who is just this incredible director and has this very, very specific way of shooting a lot of stuff at Magic Hour. So is there a lot of waiting around for the, the sun to hit the right spot? Yeah. There were- that was very funny. We just went. Yeah, let the record show for a podcast that that was two people <laughs> yeah, nodding. Yeah, audio podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were days where we would just rehearse and rehearse and just wait until the sun was there. And she's like, okay, we have 40 minutes, let's go. Uh, I thought that that was really exciting because here's the thing about Chloe is 
she wanted to always shoot the rehearsal too. She likes mistakes. She didn't want like scenes to feel perfect. Sometimes like you do something, you stumble and she's like, no, 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 that's great. That's a beautiful moment. We don't want to like fix that. That's the one I'm going to use. And, and the, what you get from working with her, at least what I got was this sense of safety because I was like, oh, she, she knows this movie. She's editing this movie in her head as she goes. So when she's like, we got it, you can completely trust that. I never had to like ask for an extra take uh, which, you know, sometimes you, you do that. I did, but not necessarily always got it. We always, <laughs> because we, had to go fast. Um, we also, fast. we also did a lot of wet, muddy night shoots. Okay. Freezing cold, wet, muddy. She likes those too. She yes. likes the wet, muddy, freezing night shoots. Yeah. No, no, no sound stages four in the morning <laughs> on the floor of some forest. And when is the best time to bond? Yes, it is. When you're like complaining together. Yeah. Okay. Clearly, you guys. Clearly, you guys bonded. Yeah. It was. It was a fun time on set. It I'm really good. was. It, yeah. it really. Was. I had such a great time shooting this movie, beginning to end. It was full of joy. I, you know, when I got this opportunity, I was like, "Oh, this is exactly the kind of thing I can get too nervous about." But I was like, "I'm going to. I'm determined to have fun during this," and I did. It was. It was. And I got to say, because that's the right attitude, because if you were like kind of falling asleep, I'm like, where's Kumail? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, he was so fun to be around. Always, always. Not even not even like 10 minutes. I cannot say one bad day. Not even 10 minutes where he was like, no. Well, we get to be superheroes. There's very little that we actually have to complain about. And I learned that from you, by the way. You're like such a huge star. And you were like every day, every day, like they're exactly on time. Never complained. Like just like did the work. Yeah, we and don't complain. Was always ready. It was amazing. That was from you. You were like, show must go because, on. Yeah, because Never Angie complain. and I come from the generation right. of women. We're like, you better, you get a better act together. And you yeah. come and you say, yeah, we're doing a movie. Right. We're surviving everything. You know, That's we right. do anything that needs to be done. Yeah, Angie and Selma were definitely like the morale police. Like, let's they really go. were like, yeah, let's get this done. We have to do this. Turn that frown upside down. <laughs> oh my God. It was great. It was great. Smile. That's an order. That's always good. <laughs> That's a good way to go. Otherwise, the Marvel police will get us. We were not on the phone. You see the generational yeah. difference there. Yeah. And you and I are talking, you learning. Everybody's like, the good thing was, my, my superhero outfit did not have pockets, so I couldn't have my phone on me. So that did help. Oh, that's good. That's good. It focuses the mind. Yes. Which is a, which is a very, very good thing like indeed. People around oh, yes, you. Yes, that's the thing. Very last quick question, because I know I've got a wrap. Did you guys keep your costumes? Is this what you could wear on Halloween night? Let's bring it full circle. Are you trying to get us in trouble with the Marvel police again? Maybe. I thought about asking them if I could borrow it, but I don't know. Maybe it's in the Museum of Marvel <laughs> lockdown under like uh, bo- uh, uh, bulletproof glass. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't keep anything. There was one watch they don't give you anything. Kingo wears that I worked on. For all six months we were there, I was slowly working like, when we wrap, I'm going to get to keep this watch. <laughs> I did, did not. you? No. No, no. no I didn't. And I requested Museum. that watch. I was like, I think Kingo should have this watch. And then the security <laughs> guards showed up 
and gave me the watch. It was probably like a super expensive watch. Too. Yeah, so it was. I know I know how much it cost. <laughs> I sky. You know, I wore that watch. There was only one I wore it every single day except in the superhero suit. And like when I'm doing stunts, sliding through the forest, Making keeping sure my hand up in the air. Oh, no. Up in the air because there's only one of them. It was perfect. Perfect. And then one day I was on set, walking into the bathroom and just like, like smashed against the door. And from the sound, I knew I was like, oh, that left the mark. And I looked. Yep, there's a scratch right down the middle. And they still didn't give it to you. They still did not give it. To I know me. you did that on purpose. Unbelievable. Nice <laughs> Unbelievable. Cheapskates. Ridiculous. But that's what sequels are for, right? Um, but guys, I, I do have to let you go. I'm being wrapped up uh, at the moment. Bye. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Salma Kamel, once again, and happy birthday to your dad for next week, Salma. Oh, tell him thank nice you. Nice seeing you, Chris. Thank See you next time. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Salma Hayek and Kamel Nanjiani, and we will be reviewing Eternals in two shakes of a deviant's tale. But first, it is time for the movie news mm. section. Has there been any <laughs> movie news? Well, we got our first look, or we got another look, I guess. At so our second look. Our second look, I believe. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Our I second look. Is. At Morbius, the living vampire. Dun, 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 dun. Morbius. Yes. People are strange, though. Because, yeah, oh, see, this is the thing. And I th- actually think they did a really good job here because they managed to ruin two different things for me. Which <laughs> they managed to piss all over Lost Boys and they also managed to piss all over the MCU by bigging up at the beginning. Marvel's. But no, 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 no. Let's not pretend it's the same thing, guys. Let's not pretend. <laughs> now, of course, the version that they use in the Morbius trailer is the original Doors song sure. and not the Echo and the Bunnyman cover yes. that is in Correct. the Lost Boys. So they have not actually. Pissed yes, over I'm, I'm sure the Lost when Boys. they chose that song, at yes. no point did anyone make the connection between the Lost Boys and. I suspect they did. That's where I first became exposed to. I mean, um, so many questions to Echo and the Bunny Man. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but this is clearly they're trying to riff on a good vampire film with, you know, this. Oh, see that I didn't connect. What vampires? Yes, but that's why they're doing it. Like, that's clearly they're wanting you to think, you know, cool, fun vampires. Yeah. And then they'd show you a. And then Morbius Jared Leto. Trailer. I mean. Is this trailer's been getting a kick in? Yeah. Is it as bad as it? Yeah. Is yeah. it? Why? Why? <laughs> why? 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 It looks it's... like it could be, you know. Every day is Christmas just... Eve, guys. Yeah. yeah. It just what made is... me shrug and roll my eyes. That final joke, I am Venom. Oh, that sounds I'm like something. I'm just kidding. It's just me, Dr. Michael. What? What is going on there? It's, just, it's not funny. It's not good. And, you know, it's confusing. Like, my... my Best guess is that it takes place in a post No Way Home multiverse all jumbled Spider Man thing because like, there's, like them. there's like three different versions of you know the of the universes in this one trailer because you got Michael Keaton Vulture, mm-hmm. you got the mention of Venom, and you've got the picture of Raimi Spider Man on the wall at one point. And then so, you see the costume from the Marvels. From the video game, from the PlayStation video game Spider-Man yes. on a poster on a wall. Yeah. So so I don't know what is going on. It's very confusing. I um, hope that the filmmakers do. <laughs> me too, Chris. Me Look, too. I think, I think it's, you know, proof will out. Like, Sony has an excellent track record with, <laughs> no, hang on, hang on, that's, no, sorry, that's not true. I mean, look, maybe it'll be fine. I, I, I'm not convinced by this trailer, but I live in hope. Do you know what I think will happen? I think that it will. We will feel about this much the way we have felt about some of the other things in this particular, like Venom. Sure, <laughs> and 
yet I suspect the people who like Venom, of which there are many because yeah. it does very mm. well, will also like this for the same mm. reasons. And so it'll probably do very well, which means Morbius sequels, I'm sure, will be in our future. Yay. I'm not so sure. I don't think that this character has the fan base that Venom does. Also, I'm not sure about this attempt to retcon him. And I know he's a bit of a tortured soul and can mm. be in the comic books, but I'm not sure about this attempt to, from the off, set him out as this tortured anti-hero rather than a bad guy, which is... That's what they're what doing with all be. of these characters, know, isn't it? it? I just... Uh, uh. Not... Well, I wouldn't say the villains. I wouldn't say that you know, Mysterio is a, is a tortured anti-hero. No, but Venom. And, Venom, yes. And yeah. Morbius and, you know, all of these yeah. kind of villain-led stories. If you would like to see a really cool version of Morbius, then may I direct your attention to oh the Spider-Man animated <laughs> series in the 90s, uh, which did a very good job with that character. And with a lot of Marvel characters, actually. Blade turns up at one point. Blade. Uh, Blazer. Very, very cool. Blazer. <laughs> Blazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really good cartoon. It's no Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but sure. <laughs> I used to love that. Oh my bam, bam, god! Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I've tried I to get my that. three-year-old nephew onto it. He's not quite there yet. So good. He needs a prediction. Longer. We are going to hear the classic Spider-Man theme in a big orchestral new Michael Caccino version when all three Spider-Men team up to fight the Sinister Six in No Way Home. No, Danny Elfman's theme or GTFO, my friend. <laughs> I want a theme that when it's played in the cinema, people go, what is that? <laughs> is that, is that, that was a good theme. Was the it? Danny Elfman's Spi- Are you <laughs> disrespecting right <laughs> The Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme is great. Yeah, hum it. Exactly. Da, 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 da. <laughs> what is that? That's the Danny Elfman Spider-Man That theme. is actually the Danny Elfman Spider-Man Do it again, do it again. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was, okay. no, it was. It was. That okay. sounded like okay. Interstellar to me. Hang on, okay. I'm booking the talent scouts to come to <laughs> karaoke with them on, but we're not going to judge you and your karaoke oh, prowess based on what's about to happen. All right? All right, I'm okay. on space bagpipes. You're amongst friends here. This is a safe space. Yeah. Forget the fact that literally dozens of people are listening to this right now, okay? So... Please hum the Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme because I can't remember how it goes. Okay. <clears throat> Do you want to count in? A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Now you're just messing me up. Stop, stop, stop. All right. In your own time. <laughs> I hate you so much. Right, leave me up. Nothing. Yes, it is. I can't. Not a hint of recognition. Sorry. Then you need to go back and rewatch the Vami movies because they're great. The first two, anyway. I believe there's a Danny Elfman theme in all of us. Um. Okay. Hmm. The Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme is great. Um, obviously, it's, it's no Batman no, theme. It's is no, it? Batman. it's no, no, no theme okay, from Dark Man. It's definitely no Batman theme. I'll hum, hear that. Hum, hum the theme from yeah, Dark Man. Yeah. Okay. But I love it, whatever it is. It I is. want it. <laughs> it's true. So true. So true. Um, anyway, movie news. 
<laughs> well, we've covered biscuits and music, so, you know. Biscuits and music, and that's all that you need, really, for a great Saturday night. I think so. <laughs> I've got my Twix. i got my... <laughs> biscuits and music, the name of our <laughs> punk band. <laughs> i got my Danny Elfman greatest hits, all queued up, ready to go. i got my salt tears rolling down my cheeks. This is great. <laughs> Having a great time. Uh, so Morbius, that's coming out. What else is happening? <laughs> Moonfall. I mean, Moonfall. Oh, Moon is coming. coming out. Yes. And we got our second look. Oh my god. It's at it's, the film. It's kind of transcendent. Like I thought it looked <laughs> I thought it looked stupid before, but I had no idea of how stupid it was gonna be. None. No conception. Oh. I'm so excited. It, it looks it makes Fast and Furious Five look like, you know, primer. I'm just <laughs> oh. So the marketing campaign for this movie so far has been what if Moon bad? That was the first. That was the first. That was the first. Like the teaser poster and the teaser trailer was like, "What if Moon bad? What if Moon? What if Moon out to get us? <laughs> yes. What if Moon fall and hit Earth? Bad, right? And then the, like the first trailer is hinting ever so subtly that there may be something about the Moon, a revelation, if you will. And then the second, clearly that trailer, I don't know whether it worked or not, but this, for, so the second trailer, we're like, okay, we've just got to blow the twist. We've got yeah. to blow the twist. Yep. That the moon is a construct, <laughs> an alien construct that is now deciding to, you know, accelerate into Earth like a like a, an Austin Allegro into a brick wall. <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I was genuinely, it took my breath away. This, it, it really did. I had... Take my breath away. Which is what will da, happen. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Berlin never, ever played it like that. <laughs> Danny Elfman remix. The Danny Elfman re- remix, you don't recognise it? It's flawless. Um, yeah, so Moonfall looks fucking stupid. I'm here. I am absolutely here for this. We have to go see it together, Chris. We oh, have to. Uh, yeah. But this is this is the hilarious thing, isn't it? Morbius, which looks fucking stupid. None of us here for it. <laughs> Moon's <laughs> crashing into the earth. Yes, that is rubbish. I want to see it now. Do you remember how much me and you annoyed James when we went to see, was it 2012? And in 2009. In, in, yeah. yeah, and, and, yeah. and um, basically high five the whole way through it. Imagine how much we're going to annoy him in Moonfall. Oh, it's it's. it's I'm still be... trying to understand why we called it 2009 back when we were in. But sure, you know, however you want to count the years is, is fine with me. Um, yes, there's been a few films actually. I seem to recall Fast Five in particular. You yeah, two did. annoying twats insisted on high fiving. I can't even remember if it was across me. Yeah, yes, no, no, it, was, it wasn't. Yeah. Acro- no, it wasn't across him. It was across Rhiannon and Sam. Rihanna. Yeah, Rihanna. Yes, oh, okay. Rihanna was there. Sending <laughs> yeah, you off with an umbrella while you were high fiving each other. Yes. I don't remember that. I think I remember going to see Fast Five with Rihanna. Yeah. Yeah, but no. I've, yeah. I've not yet experienced this high five a thon. It's very irritating. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you, we'll give you a quick taste. We'll give you a quick taste now. Helen, you in one hand. You didn't, no, no. Him. Oh, him. Okay, three, two, one, go. Ooh, Look yeah. at that. Wow. Five fives. That was like a high 15. Ah, <laughs> oh, feeling pumped and hyped. So Moonfall is about <laughs> the moon deciding to attack Earth for some reason. And instead of just simply falling out of uh, Earth's gravitational pull and descending towards Earth, uh, it seems to be have it's, been built by it's aliens. Malicious. Yeah. Yeah, it's malicious. It's a malicious moon. Moon dusty <laughs> monsters. It's just like so stupid. Yes. Oh my God. Redefines I'm just... the term getting mooned. I'm I'm so so hyped, so hyped. My, Moon 
<laughs> my one yes. worry about it is that it looks like it's positioning a conspiracy theorist as the hero. Yes. And they keep doing this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Movie. Yeah. Like, just... Moons aren't real. <laughs> yeah, but, but, like, he keeps doing this in, in practically all his movies, but certainly yeah. like... Um, Oh, what's the one where John Cusack has to drive a limo away from an earthquake? Oh, that's, I think that's, that's, that's 2012. That's, that's 2012. which oh, came out in yeah. 2009. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, the, the conspiracy theorist was was the hero there. I, yeah. I just, I, I, I've yeah. talked about this before, but conspiracy theories are not. But also in Independence Day as well, because Randy Quaid's a bit mm. of a tinfoil hat mm-hmm. type chap, isn't he? Well, yeah. luckily, nothing happened to him in real life. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of things. Happening. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What else is happening? Any uh, yes. things that weren't uh, fixed something to the movie image? Something that was not controversial at all is that Chris Pratt has signed on for another voice role. Uh, you may remember about like ten seconds ago when he signed up to play Mario, he's now also going to be playing Garfield. Uh, he has been accused hilariously of Italian erasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear an Italian erasure. <laughs> and, and, and asked online, has he even ever eaten a lasagna? Oh, wow. I think we can all agree that Bill Murray is the definitive Garfield and we do not need to revisit you, this. You've heard the story about why he signed up to that. Well, well, well I don't yes. find out at the end of Zombieland. Because <laughs> he, he, it was directed by Ethan, or it was written. Written, written by, uh, it may have been co-directed as well, I'm not yeah. sure. And I'm certainly not going to look that up. No. <laughs> by Ethan... Cohen. Cohen. So with Cohen. an H. C O H E N. Yeah. Cohen. Cohen. Yes. Yeah. And when he heard that uh, Ethan Cohen wanted him to be in a movie by Garfield, he was like, Yeah, of cool. course. I love Raising Arizona. Yeah. And, Not uh, kidding. He yeah. thought it was the Cohen. This is genuinely what happened. It's genuinely yeah. what happened. <laughs> this yes. is what happens when you don't have a publicist. And, and also, like, if everything is done by phone, it would yeah. sound the same over the phone. Or an agent mm. of any kind to screen <laughs> these things for you, Bill. So, I mean, presumably Chris Pratt knows who, who's making his film, but who knows? It could be yeah. something similar, you know. It could be a Senor Spielbergo who's yeah. making it, and he's just, you know. It, it could be that. Yeah, but, but like, honestly, if this is the guy who played Andrew, Andy Dwyer so delightfully in Parks and Rec for years, that's actually a pretty good fit for Garfield. I, I, you know, I'm not one of the haters on this. This happened on Monday, you know, naturally. Oh, he hates Mondays. He hates Mondays, like Bob Geldof. And no one got that. That's fine. But again, four people at home Uh, are loving that. Yeah, loving loving that joke. And it hit on Monday. And again, Twitter did his usual thing of, you mentioned Chris Pratt's name. And he goes, Chris Pratt, he's the worst Chris. And... The worst Pratt. Let me tell you, Chris Pratt. No, taking all our animation voices. No. Um, but I'm like, ah, I'm not. Don't really care about Garfield, and I quite like Chris Pratt. So I'm like, whatever. I'm good. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, as an actor, you know, I, I know oh, that yeah. you know uh, he's not going to voice James for the rest of the podcast. By the way. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, Gal Gadot has signed on to play the evil queen in the new live-action Snow White. That's interesting casting, I think. So uh, Rachel Zegler, of course, is is taking the lead. She's the um, star of West Side Story as well, and is clearly they're expecting big things of her. Mark Webb directing, and Pasek and Paul, who wrote La La Land, as well as Dear Evan Hansen and so on, uh, doing the songs. So, you know, this could be cool. I, I don't know, um, I haven't heard Gal Gadot Oh, I have heard Gal Gadot sing. I'd forgotten. I blanked it out. We've all heard Gal Gadot sing. Imagine I can't imagine it, Chris. I refuse Uh, to imagine it. Imagine there's no heaven. Oh, I don't know. She feels a bit young to be evil queen material, but you know she's she's awesome. No, she'll be fine. It'll be it'll be interesting for like um, I like sort of an actor trying new things, and Mm -hmm. I hope it works out. Like you know, I think 
of what I've seen of Gal Gadot so far, she's very good at playing earnest characters and that humanity really shines through. Obviously, that's not something you can say about uh, an evil queen. Uh, mm. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what that performance sounds like. Yeah. Well, she goes up to Snow White and says, how do you like them apples? <laughs> and it just goes badly. <laughs> All that. Uh, speaking of amazing actresses kicking all kinds of ass, which we kind of were doing, Anna de Armas mm. yes. is in talks to star in Ballerina, which is the John Wick spin-off that will be directed by Len Wiseman. Um, and of course, we saw in John Wick Chapter 3, we saw ballerinas being uh, trained as uh, badass killing machines, and she's going to be one of those ballerinas. Uh, who is a young assassin who seeks revenge against the people who killed her family. Mm-hmm. I love this news. I love Anna de Armas. Um, as I say, like her scene in No Time to Die was probably my favourite scene of the movie. She was so great in it. So more of Anna de Armas kicking ass. Yes, please. Thank you. Sign me up. I, I mean, I, I do feel like avenging your dead family is a slightly less compelling motive than avenging your dead puppy. But um, I guess I can put up with it. You know, she is very good, as you say. So. Should we talk about uh, Helen's favourite thing, which is a Chris Nolan movie? There's a new one on the way. It's called Oppenheimer. Uh, we know that Killian Murphy is going to play Robert Oppenheimer, who is the father of the atomic bomb. I mean, that was a hell of a night. Uh, but he is a what? He's been joined in the film by two big old heavyweights. Mm. I have a bomb fact for you. Oh, do you want me to finish my bit first? Do you or? have to? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's I, kind I, of the movie news. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've gone all this way. I've come this far. <laughs> she was like, I should let you get yeah. to the end. Yeah. If, all right. Yeah. All right. If you must, be quick. If you've come this far, perhaps you'd be willing to come a little further. Oh. Yeah. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Say what a Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in this film. Hey. That's exciting. As the bomb. As the bomb. <laughs> uh, and someone else who I've forgotten. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt there we Damon. Go. There it is. <laughs> That's so exciting. Two big old A-list heavyweights are going to be in Oppenheimer. Is this RDJ's first proper serious post-endgame thing? He was in uh, Doolittle, wasn't he? But that was is that post end game. I don't think it was post end. Well, was it post end game? I think, I think it, was. it was. Was it? Yeah, I just blanked oh, it out because right. it was awful. That's right, because it was one of the biggest films of last year because of the pandemic. Um, because really? it, it made some like three hundred to four hundred million dollars worldwide, and then which ordinarily would have been like okay, middle of the table. But then because mm. no films came out, <laughs> it was suddenly one of the biggest films of the year. So uh, yes, good point. Well but done. I think yeah. he filmed it before End Game. Oh really? Yeah, but. Um, but there you go. Can I give you my fact now? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go All right, on. Go on. Yeah. Okay. So, so I've always wondered what the difference between a nuclear bomb and an atomic bomb is. Because people discuss this, they're not the same thing. But it's all just nukes, isn't it? But apparently it is not. And I know that some physicist listening to this is going to be like, oh my God, he's so reductive. This is just wildly wrong. But apparently an atomic bomb, like the one dropped on Hiroshima, uses atomic fission to split an atom and the energy released from that causes an explosion. But thermonuclear bombs use atomic fusion where they fuse atoms together, which generates much, 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 much more energy. But they use atomic fission to create the energy to trigger the atomic fusion. So they do the first part of the atomic bomb, the splitting of the atom, and use that to cause the fusing of the atoms, which creates a much more powerful release of energy than just atomic fission. Wait, you're saying we have... 
fusion energy? Not cold fusion, which is what you're thinking okay. of. Okay. Cold fusion, as we all know, because Keanu Reeves was looking for it all the way through that film. Yeah, chain reaction. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's because it, this is the whole point. So atomic fusion, which is the fusing of atoms, creates mm. a huge amount of energy, but it requires extreme heat and extreme energy to do it. Mm. Cold fusion, which doesn't exist, although we wish it could, is the fusing of atoms without the massive amount of energy needed to do it, which would give us infinite power. Unlimited power! How much um, time do you spend in your non-work hours v- researching I mean, this? So you want to know things. Exactly. I need to know things. Yeah. Did, yeah. Did, did you read about that kind of um, nuclear reactor, which actually basically makes essentially no really toxic waste? Like there's a, a, something that's a little bit toxic for about 30 years and that's it. Oh, like Brittany. It's, so it's basically kind of clean <laughs> nuclear power and they're very easy, relatively speaking, to build. Like I'm not saying we could do it, but like, you know, countries can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only reason nobody has used them for the last 50 years or 70 years is because they don't enrich plutonium for you that you can use to build your own national bombs. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. Anyway, so we now have a climate crisis. So I'm just suggesting maybe we get on that. I think we should all call Keanu Reeves because I think he was on something. Look, I think he can save the world. He's in the middle of a chain reaction. He is. Like Diana Ross. I knew you were going to do that. I knew this was coming. (laughs) 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 Last time I do it in this podcast, I promise you. That's not true. I have my fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh, Dwayne Johnson, we like him. We do. He is going to reteam with his Jumanji director, Jake Kasdan. Good. On a new Christmas themed action adventure comedy. Yes called Red One. Super here for it. Which is being described romantically as a globetrotting four-quadrant. Oh, I love a four-quadrant <laughs> oh. action-adventure comedy imagining a whole new universe to explore within the holiday genre. Uh, it's going to be written by Chris Morgan, who wrote all the good Fast and Furious movies. Uh, Amazon is going to provide it the funding, and it seems to me like we're going to have Santa Claus played by Dwayne Johnson. Look, um, as the host of the Bah Humbug podcast, I am super duper here for it. Couldn't be more excited. Two of my favourite things, Christmas movies and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) That does sound fun. Uh, I'm intrigued by a Santa uh, version of uh, Dwayne Johnson. I just hope that they lean into the more unique sort of sides of whatever that character is doing. Um, Because I have seen sort of Red Notice and that to me is just Dwayne Johnson and everybody else in that film being on autopilot. And, you know, when I think of my favorite Dwayne Johnson performances, uh, it's when he's a little bit edgier and when he's asked to do something more than just being sort of the brawny action hero that we've come to know and love. So Central Intelligence, for instance, that's a really fun Mm. Dwayne Johnson performance where he's doing something different. Mm. Um, Mummy Returns, where he's half man, half scorpion. (laughs) (laughs) Half terrible CG. That's three halves. Oh my God. That that actually adds up in that case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if this is as different as it sounds, then uh, yeah, I'll be here for it. Fingers crossed. Mm. Fingers crossed. Every day is Christmas Eve and that might well be the concept. Hey, what if someone's (laughs) listening to this podcast and like they did a Groundhog Day type thing on Christmas Mm. where every day was Christmas Eve. Oh, it's been done. So, yeah. we should, so we, are we going to have to sue people? We should actually, because that's, you know, that's our, our well, I, th- I don't think, you know, we were the first people to ever say that, but um, Whoa, no, there are were. a lot of, so I, you know, I've talked about Christmas movie tropes, but one of the variations is the sort of Christmas Groundhog Day where somebody has to essentially get Christmas right before they can have Christmas. What if that person mm. was Santa Christmas, Father Claus, um, and he had to relive a disastrous Christmas day over and over and over again 
Why am I still doing this podcast with you losers? Honestly, <laughs> come on. Make me an offer, Hollywood. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Two last bits of movie news. Bring it. Very exciting bits of movie news. Ooh. Sophia Botella mm-hmm. is going to star mm-hmm. in Zack Snyder's Snack Cider. No, Snack, Zack Snyder's Zack Snyder's <laughs> Rebel Moon. Is this Which, one is where this the moon rebels? Make, yeah. <laughs> After crashing into the earth, it rebels. Yeah. It goes to, it goes to its room. It's furious with Earth's yeah. behavior. It starts orbiting Mars instead. Indeed. Uh, no, this is the film that we think was his Star Wars pitch that he has then repurposed to make his own, mm. uh, his own sci-fi movie. So she is going to be a young woman with a mysterious past. Oh, never seen one of those before. Uh, to seek out warriors. Oh, never seen them before. From neighboring planets. Oh, never seen that before. To help them make a stand. Uh, it's basically the Magnificent Seven or okay. Seven Battle Samurai or Battle Beyond the Stars yeah. in space. Seems to Battle me. Beyond the Stars in space. Yes. <laughs> Who can imagine what that would be like? I've had a great five minutes between three halves. In 2009, you'll be able to see Battle Beyond the Stars hey, in space. Come on now. We all love Stanley Kubrick's seminal sci fi 2001. Space I loved all three halves of that film. <laughs> It's, it's a space odyssey in space. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Pull it together, Hewitt. So this is, uh, this looks good. Yeah, no. <laughs> you, can, you can always tell there's a bit where I've cut something heinous out, by the way. Little, little, little tip for the folks. Little tip for the folks listening at home. If, if, there's, if there's something that seems like we're about to go off on a tangent and then that and then tangent doesn't happen, don't. and then there's like a hard cut and it's just me going, so that looks good, <laughs> then we've cut something wrong out. It's all yeah. gone off the rails horribly. Yeah. And we've just recovered. And I've literally gone, all right, I need a cutting point at this point. <laughs> so that sounds good. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to edit this. <laughs> Whenever we do this podcast, whenever we do this podcast, and we have so much fun recording this in the room, and then Helen and I, in our shared WhatsApp group, we'll just get a series of texts from Chris saying, oh, I can't leave that in. Oh, this is gone. Oh, I just had to cut that out. We're like, no! Because you get cold feet while editing it. In fairness, I'm usually like, yes. And I'm always like, leave it in. I'm like the devil on your shoulder, and and Helen's the angel on the other one. Leave it in, leave it in. She's like, take it out, Chris. Yeah, Uh, but sadly, Gilbert Gottfried did not survive last week's podcast. I know, that's, that is upsetting. Save it for a live show. Uh, <laughs> anyway, one last piece of movie news uh, before we move on. So last week, we were talking about stories that scared us, Hells Bells, mm-hmm. if you remember that? Yep. And you brought up a Stephen King short story called The Boogeyman. I did. And <laughs> clearly, Rob Savage, director of Host and the upcoming Dashcam, was listening. Because he very quickly swung into action and put a deal together to direct <laughs> <laughs> an adaptation of The Boogeyman. I might be busy that night. I mean, look, with the best will in the world, and I wish him luck, and I, I hope he, he does it brilliantly, but um, it really did freak with my head. Does it kill a man with a pencil? No, he lives that to John Wick. The Boogeyman. The Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. <laughs> yeah, now I listened to the pod last week. It was one of the rare pods I was happy not to be on. Um, all these, <laughs> all these scary stories. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it also just like you know validated my choice to not really watch that many horrors. I didn't have to sort of deal with all those nightmares and stuff like that. I just I knew, knew. I slept. Was, 
soundly in my bed. Yeah, but this was one I read. I didn't watch it. Obviously, it hasn't been adapted yet. Um, Mm. Still freaking terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, so uh, we um, kind of gave away the ending of the story last week. So yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, we sorry were, about that. We didn't know it was, it was <laughs> that a major movie adaptation was in the works, and also the major movie adaptation will surely change it, the short it, story because it it's absolutely. quite short. Yeah, it is very short, so yeah. it, it would absolutely make sense if they changed the story completely. But Rob Savage, who uh, knows as horror onions, is this is going to be his next film, I think, after Dashcam. And the script has been written by Michaela Cooper, who wrote Malignant, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who originally wrote A Quiet Place, and uh, Mark Heyman, who worked on Black Swan, who wrote Black Swan, mm. is currently doing the draft as we speak. So shooting's going to happen next year. So this could be very, very, very scary indeed. And I would actually argue that we don't have enough properly scary Stephen King adaptations. I, I wouldn't disagree. I, I wouldn't. I, I think he's... I think, weirdly, some of his scariest stuff is the hardest to adapt. Scary. 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 <laughs> All right. So that's it for the movie news. <laughs> Time now for our second guest this week. And it is indeed Kristen Stewart, who has post-Twilight, I think, been reassessed, rightly so, as one of the most interesting actors around incredible array of art house credits behind her. And the odd dalliance in your blockbusters as well. This week, she is firmly back in art house territory as Princess Diana in Spencer, which is not a biopic. It is it is more of a, a look at uh, Princess Diana over the course of a weekend. Pretty yes. much, yeah. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah. And it's written by Stephen Knight and is directed by Pablo Lorraine, who, of course, did Jackie. So this was in person, wasn't it? This was my first in-person junket interview in like over a year. Uh, I just hope that it doesn't sh- uh, come across. <laughs> I hope it came out. <laughs> I haven't listened back yet. I'm sure it did. So yeah, Amon went along to interview Kristen Stewart. How was she? She was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's just one of the most authentic, cool celebrities that we have. And uh, yeah, uh, we. she was wearing uh, a mask uh, for all of the interviews, but she wasn't sort of like doing any handshakes because of COVID. So we, so we did like a nice little fist bump before the interview. And then we, then we had a nice, nice oh, chat. That's nice. It was cool. I just elbowed Jason Reitman. I mean, that's what we're doing these days. We're do- we're doing the touching elbow, sizing elbow, reaching yes. style. Yes. <laughs> he came in the room surrounded with five other guys. I quickly sized him up. I had the uh, podcast microphone in my hand, and I just I took up one guy with the microphone, delivered a scything elbow to to right and used my momentum to to come back off that, sending a crashing right hand into Ivan Reitman's face. Then <laughs> I immediately apologised because obviously Ivan Reitman's quite old and also a bit of a legend. And, uh, and, and then when you had to do an interview about Ghostbusters Afterlife. So yeah. that was good. So it went when all things yeah. considered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's Kristen Stewart talking about Spencer. Enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Spencer, Kristen Stewart. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I was just telling you off mic, this is my first uh, in-person interview in 20 months uh, thereabouts, which is insane. And I know like in the pandemic period, you've had a couple of uh, films come out. Uh, do you miss the Zoom interview at all or do you prefer <laughs> sort of interviews like this? I know. I'm like, so we could just do everything from our bedrooms? <laughs> Not, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is so much fun. I, I, I do prefer this. It's funny when you start... Um, like quantifying periods of time in months that are longer than a year. It's like 
Like if you're really obsessed with your baby, it's like, he's 18 months, he's 25 months. It's like, this time is like, it's been exactly 20 months. (laughs) (laughs) It's important. It's yeah. Does it feel good? Are you happy to be back? I'm happy to be back. I'm happy (laughs) to be talking with you. Um, One of the reasons I'm very excited to talk to you today is because it's very rare I get to talk to someone who uh, received a three minute standing ovation, uh, which is incredible. What's it like to be at the heart of that? Um, well, it's funny. There's, uh, the end of the movie kind of destroys me. Like I, um, I've never, I've never found myself crying at one of my own, at one of my own premieres in front of everyone. <laughs> like very embarrassing. Like, wow, we really killed it. But it had <laughs> truly nothing to, to really do like with what we did and more so that we leave her at a, a kind of a high point. We get her out of a of a pretty harrowing experience and and there's a lightness at the end of the movie and as soon as you allow that lightness to wash over you you then obviously remember ultimately uh, what happened and that, that she's no longer with us and and it it absolutely destroyed me especially with a whole audience and just having everyone in the same room bodies in a room like we've just acknowledged yeah. feels really good uh so yeah i mean it felt great to be with people watching that, even though I was a bit of a mess. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever been uh, part of an audience yourself and watching a film and reacting to something really enthusiastically in the moment? Yeah, of course. I think I yell at the screen a lot. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time that happened for you? Oh my gosh. Well, I haven't been in a theater in a while. I think watching Spencer was the last time. Let me see. Let me see. To be honest, I have not been in a movie theater in so long. Like I can't, I unfortunately, sadly don't have an answer for that. I I remember watching The Others when I was really, really little in a theater and just sort of screaming the entire time thinking like, I don't know, I'm really scared of ghosts. I don't even believe in ghosts, but I'm like very scared of them. <laughs> I like walk down, I literally walk around my house like on tiptoes. Um Okay, that is not what you asked, but I don't remember the last time I screamed at the screen all the time. I'm constantly talking to people. I'm constantly talking to the characters that I'm watching in, in movies and in TV. Awesome. Awesome. There, there's actually a really great reaction video on YouTube of Breaking Dawn Part 2, that, that big battle. Um, mm. There's everything. I watched it the other day. There's whooping, there's clapping. <laughs> when, when you kill Arrow, there's a massive, massive cheer. It's, right. it's amazing. And then it's all the vision, which is just... Incredible. Do you, do you remember shooting that sequence? Yeah, of course. We shot it for a long time. It's pretty long. <laughs> when was the last time you watched those movies? Oh man, I haven't. I, I have. I haven't watched them in so. I mean, I haven't watched them in years. Mm. Um, sometimes they'll be on TV or something, and like a friend will put it on, and like I won't notice for a minute, and then I'll like tune in and be like, oh, just immediate, immediately <laughs> remove this. <laughs> Not because I don't like it. It's like watching yourself. Like it's like looking at like home videos from high school or something. You're like, oh mm. god, that's what it looks like. I was like 17. <laughs> um, Different time. That's an awkward stage. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I. I love those movies. Now that I'm getting like a little bit older, I can kind of look back and go like, okay, it is more, I can stomach that age period. It's like when you see pictures of yourself in kindergarten and that feels far enough away from you to feel no longer (laughs) self-conscious. I'm not quite there yet with the Twilight series. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, So playing Princess Diana, I don't think is something anyone enters into lightly. What's the difference between a pitch or a script uh, that has you interested for a character like that or for a person like that? And what's uh, the the difference between that and the pitch, which doesn't sort of have you interested and makes you want to pass on it? The whole notion of of 
embodying that person and and kind of learning more about her and doing it with someone like Pablo, who is just very singularly driven. He makes movies, but it's not his job. It just feels so instinctive and artful and everything he's made feels like itself. And, and um, like the impetus was not to make a movie and, you know, make money and be famous, but it was just like the most, he's just such a curious, beautiful filmmaker. And so I assumed correctly that this was going to be something that um, was going to be a really life-changing experience. And, and um, the idea of distilling a, such a vivid and full life into a three day period and trying to kind of get everything across without hanging a lantern on every detail or regurgitating things that we've seen before. I love the idea of, of helping this person who's kind of one defining characteristic is her ability to connect with other people. But then in like stark incongruence is the most isolated and kind of, you know, alone wrought human being who felt quite invisible at times. I love the idea of stepping into her bedroom and uh, and not in a way that is salacious or invasive, but truly from a loving perspective and going like, you know, let's write a poem about what that must have felt like versus let's do a biopic in which we like try and be the authority on what happened. Nobody knows what happened, but we're very curious. And it is a, you know, period of history that is... um. Uh, uh, worth examining and learning from. And so uh, I just kind of fell, just sort of like went for the trust fall. I know you said that uh, you didn't know if you could do this role before you said yes to it. Was there a day or scene uh, that everything clicked for you and you really started to feel comfortable in this role? Yeah, I think, okay. So when we first started, I, I prepped for like, technically I prepped for three months with my coach, but I knew about the movie for like a year and a half before I was going to do it. And so I don't think that there was a morning that I woke up once I knew, once I committed to the movie and they were like, cool, we'll probably shoot it in, you know, a year or two. I was like, yeah, but now I have to think about this every single day. <laughs> and I think I might, I mean, who knows, maybe I'll completely muck it up. Like it might be awful. This might be terrible for everyone. <laughs> um, so on the first week I kind of came in hot and heavy. I think I, I, I just wanted I wanted the impression to be good. I wanted every affectation to feel like lived in and organic. And I just had so much emotion behind it. I, I started to become so protective of her. I learned so much about her. I, I fell in love with her. I just think she's the most incredible person. And so Pablo in the first week was like, in the first like two days, I think he said, you know, he came up in his way, which is very grounded and emotional and, but very confident and sort of, I don't know, deep. <laughs> he came up, he was like, Kristen, you have this, you, you have to relax. And so when he said that, I was like, all right, like don't mess this up by sort of like overstep, you know what I mean? Like just going too hard. Mm. And so he was like, it's in your body. You just have to be yourself now. You have to trust it. You know her now just sort of be here. And uh, I would say like on day two or three, I went like, all right, I know her voice and it's, it's in my voice box now. It's not something that feels outside of me. And that was a very cool feeling because it was early. <laughs> Luckily, it was on like day two or three. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's go. Good stuff. Good stuff. You mentioned the voice there. Uh, the first teaser trailer for this film sort of broke the internet because it had like three seconds of your voice. Just and everyone one went, yeah. <laughs> went wow. Uh, when did you start with that? Um, with like accent stuff? Yeah. Um, I started by just watching and listening for a very long time uh, before 
giving any attempt. Um, all of my friends, especially my English friends, were like kind of straight off like, okay, well, let's hear it then. Come on, give it, give it like, like, like um, do, do your best impression then. I'm like, I cannot do that. And you know what? I take my job very seriously and I am not ready. And so, um, yeah, I listened, 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 listened. And then I started working with William Conacher, who is this absolutely beautiful acting coach and dialect coach. And we did sort of like a, a general RP, you know, just a general English sort of uh, catch up, which I've done before. And I've like obviously spent a lot of time around you, you guys. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think the first time we tried it on, my hands were sweating. Like once I like once you went like, OK, come on, then let's do it. Like, let's try. Go for it. Let's. And it's also such a um, like a physical thing as well visually you look different making that sound i i can't look like myself and sound like her i can't sound like you know i can't sound like myself and look like her i she opens her mouth differently everything about her physicality informs the sound of it and uh yeah i was on my balcony on zoom and i really wanted to work in person with him but we couldn't we couldn't be together until two weeks before we started shooting the movie and i was like okay this is like he couldn't get from england to germany where we shot the movie and i was like okay the accent's very important <laughs> so we might <laughs> we might be screwed here um, but yeah just kind of had to jump in it was i will say the first time i actually picked up the script and started reading the dialogue i was just like oh god <laughs> it took it took time it took time to acclimate to the water for sure is there a phrase that you would use to sort of get you right back in it when you're on set for me it was about breathing i uh i got this really great bit of advice um from my dialect coach about her words floating in a way there was like this buoyancy to the way that she spoke and also just uh English versus sort of like a Southern California accent. There is a, she was obviously very breathy, like inherently she just had this, like everyone talks about this breathy nature that she had, but there's also just an English thing that is so less tight. Like I am kind of in my throat and I barely speak. English people speak better. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, to get into it, I would kind of just have to, like, I would just have to lighten up a bit, you know, I'd have to kind of, let myself float, be more buoyant. Cause I feel like my voice is going to like here. It feels heavy. It feels like kind of like rooted in a different way. So it wasn't a word. It was kind of just about being like, ah, that's interesting. Yeah. So I've always been interested to know this when you've been working on a film like this for so long, which has that sort of accent. Are you once, once the, once filming is done, do you just, are you able to just ditch it or is it something you can flip on and off again relatively easily? Towards the end of the movie, it was really, really easy to like I could do a quick impression, like I could say any of the dialogue in the movie or I could like be hanging at night with the crew and have them. We could like I could kind of make fun of it. <laughs> um, but at first it was so muscular that it was like, I mean, it's exhausting. I, you have to move your body and your mouth and your tongue and your throat and your voice in such different ways. It's like. I could never maintain it. I would be doing the scene. And then if we ever were speaking, I don't bring it out of the scene. I also find it's kind of weird to do that. I, I get self-conscious and embarrassed. Like it's just, it's strange to, it, for me, it's kind of all or nothing. I'm either her and we're in this moment or I'm like, yo, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to sit? Where's the camera? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'm myself and then her. Yeah. It's also, it's also sort of interesting sort of looking at your career because you've also uh, directed other uh, Come Swim, uh, which is a directorial debut, and you also recently directed yourself in Homemade. And I wanted to ask you about that experience. What 
is uh, Director Kristen's assessment of actor Kristen. How, how was that experience? <laughs> oh, I think I'm, I think she's great. <laughs> <laughs> Takes direction. Okay. Um, well, I like don't see a huge, in my instincts and the things that draw me to uh, filmmaking in general, acting and, and directing are, are really closely tied. Every, every great experience I've ever had with a director, um, it feels always like I've been guided on a certain path that they've kind of carved out, but that I've never been alone in an emotion. Like when me and Pablo were making this movie, he like could have played Diana. I mean, truly like, like there wasn't anything that I went through that he didn't go through. It's not like he kind of like put me on this path and then went, okay, go, I'll film it. We did it fully together. And so um, I, in, in moving towards telling my own stories and, and, and getting behind the camera, I want to have that relationship with actors. Um, I want to be just as inside of it as they are. Uh, you know, emotion is only amplified by there's emotion is contagious as hell, you know, and it's really fun to, to feel that with people. And, and I, um, I've felt it this way and I, I would, I don't really see a huge difference between the two, you know, is that something sort of uh, you're looking to do more of in the future? Is there anything in the pipeline? Yeah, I'm trying, honestly, in the next week, aptly in the next week, I'm taking out a, a project that I've been not sitting on, but kind of developing for, for years now. Um, so we're going to try and go get some money and make a movie. We're going to try and turn these dreams into something physical. We're trying to cast it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really pushing for this one. And um, it's cool. Like some movies take years to make. And it, it feels like this one actually really needed the time to, to find itself. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. And you've worked with some incredible directors over the years. I mean, Oliver Sayers, uh, Kelly Reichardt, just to name a couple. Uh, is there anything in particular that you've gleaned from just watching them uh, do their work, which uh, you're going to try and sort of uh, use when, when you direct? Um, yeah. Uh, my whole life, I've really been trying to absorb. And when I was really little, I was like, I'm going to be the youngest director there is. <laughs> Um, I've just really wanted it my whole life. And therefore, every time I've seen someone do it really well, I've definitely tried to take note. But I also think that everyone is so, you know, making art and trying to like infuse your own feelings and beliefs into a final product. You really can only do it your way. Like everyone that I've worked with that um, has anything to say. I mean, there are things to learn. Technicalities, of course, like I've I've been doing this. Luckily, um, kind of shockingly, like for an unbelievable amount of time, I was like nine years old when I worked on my first movie. So I've been watching since then. And uh, yeah, people that I really have loved working with make me feel, you know, confident and closer to actually, you know, there's no magic trick. It's just, you just kind of have to want it and go for it and be nice to people and um, <laughs> yeah, kind of follow your instincts and yeah, have perspective. Absolutely. Uh, final question. You've got Crimes of the Future with uh, David Cronenberg uh, coming up. Very excited. What can we expect from that? Oh, it's such a weird movie. It's so <laughs> cool. It's like a, it's like a real return to form for him. It's, um, it's kind of beautifully grotesque and extremely thoughtful um, in terms of like where we're headed as human beings, how we're growing physically, emotionally, like what art means to us, the value of it, who can make it, how art is quite often throughout history just been suppressed, like sort of been an, been an oppressed. Mm. Uh, I, I love the idea of like black market art. And that is something the movie deals with. And um, 
yeah, hard to go into like at the la- on the last question because I'm like, okay, wait, what is this movie about? This is- <laughs> but but I will say that working with him was um, a dream come true, and I love his films, and I just think he has such distinct perspective, and he's gentle and kind, and and again, I think um, I think he made something so specific. I I can't wait to see it. Awesome, me too. Uh, Christian Stewart, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Of course. All right, so that was Kristen Stewart, and we will be talking about Spencer very, very soon. But there's really only one place to start this week as we dig into the reviews section of the show, talk about the big films that are coming your way in your multiplex or on your sofaplex, of course. And that is with the 26th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and perhaps their biggest swing for some time. Mm. And it is Chloe Shaw's Eternals. Now, this is interesting because mm. I suspect this is going to be one of the, the few Marvel movies that doesn't feature Sonny Birch that might have defied the panel oh boy. a little bit. Hell's Bells, tell Hello. us about it. Yes. Um, so the Eternals uh, are a race of uh, immortal super beings of a, you know, Marvel type. Um, they have superpowers. They have lived on Earth since basically the dawn of civilization. In fact, they're basically the big black box in 2001. Them turning up is the 2001. sign. Sorry, 2001. <laughs> Them turning up is the sign that civilization is getting underway. Uh, but they're here because they're protecting humanity from creatures called the Deviants. And their rules are that they're not allowed... Not not just James, but like actual <laughs> creatures called deviants. But they all come from Camden, so <laughs> yeah. Well, this is true. And um, but they're not allowed to interfere in other affairs. We're told, which is why they were nowhere to be bloody seen when Thanos turned up. Thanks, guys. Anywho, I would also argue they wouldn't have made much of a difference. As it turned, yeah. well, I mean, okay, I we're, we're going to get into that in the spoiler special because yeah. there's a quite a lot to say about that. Okay. So they've been around for millennia. Um, about 500 years ago, they appeared to succeed in their mission and actually wipe out the deviants and finally just get a chance to rest. So they've kind of all gone a little bit their separate ways. They're kind of scattered around the world. They haven't been in touch in a long time. And then in Camden Town, <laughs> a deviant <laughs> turns up. Camden. <laughs> <laughs> a deviant turns up and uh, wouldn't you know it, we're back in action. Coming out of Cyberdog. Coming out of Cyberdog. Wearing a leather coat. Yeah, and, and glow in the dark. They kind of are glow in the dark, actually. I like the look of the Deviants, by the way. There's been some criticism of it, but I thought it was good. Anywho, so it's essentially a kind of dysfunctional family drama. It's about these people getting back together to figure out why the Deviants are suddenly back and and also kind of learning how to relate to one another again after a long time apart. In particular, Gemma Chan's Cersei and uh, Richard Madden's Icarus, who had a millennia-long relationship and then he kind of just ghosted her mm. and now he's back on the scene and it's a bit awkward because she's, she's taken up with Kate Harrington in the meantime and Uh-oh. it's a whole like Game of Thrones face-off and it's very <laughs> awkward for everybody. So th- there, there's a bit of romantic tension there. But there's just a huge amount of like interpersonal drama with all of the Eternals and I think what's great about Chloe Zhao making this film is that she leans into these human-esque relationships and she leans into this idea of family, this odd, these odd relationships. You know, you have a sprite who is oh, thousands of years old, thousands of years old, but also still the, the kind of youngest looking of the lot. How is that fair? How does that work? You've got one who's suffering from mental health issues. You know, you have all sorts of stuff going on and it's... I really, really enjoyed the kind of getting the band together aspect of this. I thought it was really, really good fun. But this is 
essentially the superhero movie as a fantasy movie. This does not feel superhero-y in the traditional sense, even if there is, even if there are superpowers and a spaceship involved. It feels like a sort of epic fantasy, uh, and I, I feel like it's almost not coincidental that they have two members of the Game of Thrones cast and the composer on board in a buy two get one free kind of a sense, mm-hmm. and some hardcore fucking. Well, I mean, some very unhardcore <laughs> sex scene, but yes, Marvel's first bit of hardcore fucking. It, it, again, not hardcore. I, 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 you know, James, let let's... me show you some hardcore. <laughs> as, no, as Chris has don't. said numerous times in the office, it is the only MCU movie where we are a hundred percent certain that one character had an erection. Yeah. So that sounds good. <laughs> honestly, I honestly, I genuinely love this. I think it was, um, it was weird and out there and and funny and strange and scary and and you know it looks amazing that I, I loved the kind of the Eternals kind of powers are sort of in golden lines and sigils all over them I thought that looked cool I liked the look of the Deviants I know a lot of people don't I just thought it was barmy and out there and Kirby-ish and crazy and, and I kind of loved it and I do get why other people don't. I feel like a lot of those things I've just mentioned are the reasons that other people aren't mm-hmm. going to like this and mm. even people in this room and that's fine, but you're all wrong. And <laughs> it's just, it feels fresh and different and I love it. It is you, sir, <laughs> who is the deviant. Yeah. Hey. What I like about this film is how it polarised the Empire office, that we went in two waves, two phases, if you will, <laughs> to go and see this. And the first phase was quite down on it. And then the second phase, you guys, were quite up on it. Yes. Mm. So I, we are split. We are polarized. Yes, we are. The, into the deviants and the eternals of the office. <laughs> I, I went into this film expecting to be, frankly, bored off my tits <laughs> because of things that you had said. I, mean, yes. I, yeah, I, I know I should never listen to you about anything. <laughs> yeah, but you were prior to me seeing it, you were already yeah. quite concerned, weren't you? Yeah. I had concerns. I had concerns about this going in big concerns about this going in. It just felt weird and off. And <laughs> Sorry, didn't, enough uh, about the sex scene. <laughs> I didn't know about the sex scene. It took me ages to recover from the sex scene. First time I saw it, I had to go and take a little walk to calm down. Here is my metric for Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. It has to be suitable to show to Steve Rogers. It has to be something that I would show to Steve Rogers. I can't show that film to Steve Rogers. He'll be asking me what oh. they're doing. Oh. I can't oh, explain that on. to him. Oh, Steve Rogers. <laughs> oh he does have let, you not seen the end of Endgame let the record show I didn't say that yeah let the record show I said it first on a live podcast several years ago but that's fine that's okay um, yeah, you, you can't do that he's so innocent and sweet and doesn't know what the downstairs bits are for oh and my god he just you know and then he's watching two characters going you know full Full on hardcore. It really, uh, I cannot stress no. this enough how mind on hardcore it, it is. Basically I mean, a porn it, is, movie. it is so chaste to the sex scenes uh, in this. It's it's like it's like one of the Connery Bonds. It's you know missionary lights off on the beach, but you know still. But you know what I mean. It, it feels very unsexy in the in its depiction of sex. But anyway, we're getting off in the. Um, <laughs> we are. Yeah, Us? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it wasn't deviant, is what but we're anyway, saying. Anyway, I I was going into this with with fairly low expectations and I'm not going to say too much more beyond this I want to let I'm going to let James say what he didn't like about the film in a second then obviously a mom will come in but I have to say I don't know whether it's because I went in with low expectations I don't think it is because I've seen it twice a second time I fucking loved this film Mm. I loved this film I thought it was absolutely terrific it is thoughtful and 
um, attempts, uh, it's making an attempt at actual profundity, a bit like Kubrick with 2001. <laughs> and it's got, you know, it, it, one of the big brickbats people were hitting this movie with was the fact that it was really, really dull and nothing happens in it. And again, I would reject that. Mm-hmm. I think just because there are long stretches in which characters are talking to each other, if those characters are doing interesting things and are advancing their relationships mm-hmm. in interesting ways, which I think they are, the central relationship in particular in this movie, I really bought into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought all the, the talky-talky dialogue stuff was great. Staged really, really well. Chloe Shao filming at Magic Hours, you heard in the interview with uh, Kamel and, and, and Salma. Uh, that's why I like to call them. And... Uh, all that stuff's great and then when the action stuff does happen it really hits it has an impact it feels real it feels visceral uh, the deviants I genuinely thought were quite scary because again I was quite down on that design and the name's just fucking stupid uh, but the design of them works really really well I they, it, they yeah. are unspeakable monsters that are really really hard to stop and really really hard to kill even if you have decent powers as uh, as the characters in this movie do uh, so I I thought it was absolutely terrific, and and second time around, I I yeah on the big screen, IMAX, even more so, visually stunning, emotionally affecting, one of the most surprising and interesting entries in the MCU for some time. And I said this about Shang Chi. Shang Chi was knock knock knocking on my MCU top ten, and Eternals has knock knock knocked its way into my MCU top ten. And yeah. I did not expect to be saying that at all. Yeah, big moral questions in this yeah. film, which I really like. I cannot wait to talk about this film. Me too. In depth and detail. Now James will tell you uh, for 25 minutes why he hated it. Uh, no, because we don't have that long. Crucially, I didn't hate this film. Like We gave this film three stars, which I think is absolutely spot on with this. I think this is very much a three-star film. It is nowhere near my top ten Marvel. I've not had a good year for Marvel, to be honest. My favourite of the three is Black Widow, so oh, wow. uh, make of that what you will. But um, my thing with this is, and I didn't hate it, but I didn't feel any of the things that you felt. Like afterwards, when we were talking about afterwards, <laughs> people were like, what was your favourite bit? And I was thinking, I can't remember a single exciting moment in this film. And even now, I can't remember a single exciting moment. I quite like the bit in Camden because I recognise Camden. Um, And I enjoyed the characters. I quite liked the characters. But the story for me, I mean, it's not a short film. The story Mm. I felt dragged quite a lot. And there wasn't much for me in terms of action. And I believe that what didn't work for me here is the I didn't feel any emotional connection to the action at all and my thought when I came out of this and obviously this is going to upset a great many people and I'm sure Amon is one of them uh, this is the most for me that a Marvel movie has felt like a DC movie Uh, and I don't mean that as a good thing Uh, like it just felt like a little bit of soulless CGI a little bit of going through the motions of what something's going to be but without any emotional punch to it it looked beautiful it looks absolutely beautiful and some of the performances are great and some of them aren't but i don't think it's a bad film i think it's a three-star film it's fine it's okay it's good but i think we're at the stage here with marvel movies where that's not enough i want them to be great and after the pandemic i desperately need you know a hit of something amazing i'm really looking forward to the spider-man movie um but yeah this didn't do it for me and i should point out that i was the opposite of you chris so i went into this really psyched for it i was properly excited about Eternals I, I, it was going to be my Marvel film of this year because I just loved the idea of it and even the trailers I really liked which I know you didn't mm-hmm. um, the trailers weirdly though I think highlight one of the problems with this which is that it's not an entirely humorless film although it's a bit humorless it's an entirely humorless film where it feels like someone has gone through and dropped in jokes to try and make it less humorless and maybe mm, five ten percent of those work so it's a film that is humorless 
and has scattered bad humour through it. And whereas Marvel movies have always done that really good thing of making the humour feel organic to the story and the action, it feels baked in, it feels part of the whole experience. And here, it felt a little bit, you know, I know now why you cry sort of thing. Like, I, I, it didn't work for me at all. But no. I like, but like I say, it's not a bad film. I did not hate I, it. I, I don't, I, I, it. I, no, I, 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 I don't get how, no, no, no. I reject that thoroughly. I reject you and your, and I reject you. I reject your teachings. I reject your practices thoroughly. Uh, all I'm going to say is I'm not entirely sure how you were lukewarm in this movie when this movie does for the superhero film what Dune has just done for sci-fi. No, but it you love Dune. It doesn't. It, so everyone mm. was saying with this, oh, this is going to be the art house Marvel because it's Chloe Zhao, and it isn't that. Like I think a lot of her art house sensibilities fall by the wayside. It still looks beautiful. She's still a very visual filmmaker, but it doesn't have any of that to it. And I think Dune actually straddles those two worlds beautifully in a way that this wants to and doesn't. I don't think that's correct. But and it's fine, and, and you're both wrong. But that's okay. Oh, come, come on, on. this could be blood on the come walls. On. This could be, this Despite could be... the fact that I just pissed on your DC chips, tell us what you thought about this. Oh boy, um, I sort of went into it feeling more like twisted in terms of the trailers weren't really doing it for me. And I went to this with mixed expectations, and on the whole, I liked it. The points that all of you have made, which I sort of agree with, the action i think for the most part is really really good i think the final act is one of the best final acts that we've seen in the marvel movie i know people like to give the final act of a marvel movie a kicking but to me those final acts they're not just about the fighting and the cgi and the mm. bombast there's character there's emotion layered within that and again eternals is one of the best examples of doing that very very well i do think that as beautiful as some of the visuals looked I watched this on an IMAX screen and there's some scenes which just look very drab and very dreary and very dark. And if it's looking like that on an IMAX screen, then I fear for what it's going to look like on a lesser screen. So that's the first thing to say. Exposition-wise, um, some of the exposition I like because we're getting we're going full cosmic with this movie and there's going, they're going full in, mm -hmm. full in with the Jack Kirby visuals, with the Celestials, and all that stuff was really good. I can see why that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea because it does feel like sometimes when they go full on exposition, the movie slows down a little, a little bit. But I said a similar thing about Shang-Chi and I felt the pacing issues with Shang-Chi when they did that. With this film, as exposition heavy as it was at times, I didn't really feel any pacing issues, uh, which I think is a testament to the film. Um, I've, I've read a headline about Eternals recently. Why do they keep hiring A-list directors and don't let them you know, do their thing? I don't get that because I really felt Chloe Zhao's voice mm. throughout this film. and like. I find it very interesting and very good in that as we're dealing with like godlike beings like Celestials, Eternals. This is arguably the most human film of the MCU. I think that's very much down to Chloe Zhao and her vision really, really coming through. So I'm sort of mixed uh, on a couple of things, but broadly, I liked it. I don't think it's going to bother my top 10, but it's probably in many respects my favorite uh, phase four MCU film of the year so far. Also, I, I just don't think that's been true for some time. Yeah, the, the director like, thing. Ryan Coogler, you feel his voice mm -hmm. in Black Panther. James yeah. Gunn, you feel his voice in The Guardians. Absolutely. Taika Waititi. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I just, I, it, it's a criticism that irritates me at this point. Mm -hmm. because yeah, it's, it's lazy in first place. Yeah. The yeah. cosmic thing you mentioned, though, is an interesting one because this takes the Marvel mythology into a, I mean, we should save a lot of this as a spoiler special, but it takes it into a new area, which I didn't love. And I think mm -hmm. maybe some people will bump on. And it actually bothers yeah. me mm -hmm. now that it has push these films that I love into this sphere that I'm not really on board with. Uh, and I mean, this is, this is not the first appearance of a Celestial in the Marvelous it is Cinematic not, Universe, of course. It is not, he would shit there as well, you know. 
Well, no. Yes. Nowhere in yes. Guardians is no, really cool. Nowhere looks amazing. Oh, well, I was thinking specifically of Ego. Oh, well, I wasn't, think, I wasn't okay. thinking of that. Because that wasn't but the yeah. first. But yeah. Oh, first sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, the quickest I want to mention, uh, you know, I, I give Marvel and Disney a kicking whenever they say they're going to, you know, really do something with gay representation and then they end up whiffing. This is actually an example of them doing it well. Mm. Uh, so I appreciated that. Uh, it's really, really cool to have Lauren Ridloff in the MCU. Mm -hmm. I really liked her character, Makari. Um, I will say that the central relationship between Cersei and Akaris, I'm not sure if it's the acting or the script work, but the sparks that I should be feeling between those two characters. Even I really with the hardcore did fucking. Not. Oh my God. <laughs> I really, really did not. Um, I no, loved it worked, that. It worked for me. I've only seen the film once. You guys, I'm, I'm interested to see sort of how that plays a second time, but mm. I didn't feel what I should be feeling between those characters, given the whole love history and everything that they have together. No, I got it. I, I totally mm. got it. And again, we can't talk about it right now. There's loads of stuff we can't talk about with this movie. I I, I think it is flawed in, in, in a way, but the flaws are beautiful. Mm. Uh, but I also think, yeah, I have misgivings about this big celestial um, march into the, the cosmic side of the MCU. Uh, which Silver Surfer and Galactic Society has perhaps never really been my favourite no, uh, aspect no of the comic books. Uh, but still, but still, despite this little argument we've had, this little <laughs> mini argument we've had, uh, Empire gave it three stars. Three stars, Lynn, for Eternals. I am significantly higher than that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, James is... Yes. Nailed on three. Nailed on three. So there you go. Three stars then for Eternals. A couple of weeks ago, the Heart of the Fall debuted in cinemas, as is Netflix's want. They will put, like, Red Notice this week. In fact, they will put a film into cinemas, and then a week or two weeks after that, uh, they will put it on Netflix for everybody to see. So, Amon, we talked about The Heart of the Fall a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, but I said we'd come back, talk about it in a little bit more detail. So, have at it. The Heart of the Fall. Yeah. So, just to set it up again, uh, this is directed by James Samuel, and it stars Idris Elba as a villainous outlaw named Rufus Buck. Um, and when his gangs bring him uh, from prison, another gang led by Nat Love, played by Jonathan Majors, uh, they assemble to take him down, and Nat Love and Rufus Buck have history, shall we say, which is established in the very first opening uh, sort of scene in the film, which I am not going to spoil because it sort of affects everything that you see afterwards. Um, but I really, really loved it. I think James Samuel, um, I sort of did the Empire feature for this a uh, couple months ago, and he loves Westerns. You can absolutely, absolutely see that coming through the screen. But what he's done is that he's taken all those things that you love about a Western and then mixed it in with his own style. And that's from the music to this all-black cast of A-listers who are incredible. Regina King, especially, mm. as someone who really stands out to me. She, she can do so much with just one look. Mm. Especially the, the scene where uh, Regina King, when, when uh, Rufus Butts' gangs bring him for jail, it's so cool and there's so much swagger. And Regina King and Lakeith Stanfield, they're such a great double act in that scene in particular. Mm. So I love that. The music is just... <laughs> it's not something that you think that you'd hear in the Western, but it absolutely works. You got a track by Jay Z as the title track, which is awesome. But you got tracks by Felicuti. You got this reggae infused sound, which sounds absolutely perfect. It sounds absolutely right for this world. But if you don't see the film and just think in the, in the Western, you're going to hear Jay Z, Felicuti, reggae. You'll be like, what? Yeah, it <laughs> works. But it absolutely works. So I loved it on that level. I think the action. Is really really fun too. The characters, uh, even though there's a very sort of big big ensemble, you don't spend as much time as you'd like with with some of the characters that you really want to. You still uh, get a good sense of them. Delroy Lindo is obviously still Delroy Lindo. He's great. Um, you got 
Jonathan Majors, as I say, who's on the cusp of being a really, really big star. Uh, and then just Elba. I think this is his best performance uh, in a while. Like, I, I, I really liked him in Suicide Squad, but it really feels like he's stretching himself here. And there's not much of the Idris Elba you see in the Suicide Squad. And there's more of just this character, which he's fully given himself to, especially in the final few moments of this film, which again, I'm not going to spoil. Hopefully we're going to do a spoiler <laughs> special on it later uh, because as you might surmise, there's a lot that I want to get into in really detail because I dig this film. Mm, I, I think this film more than anything else is cool as fuck. Mm. Yes, and the I think, swagger. Yeah, absolutely. I had so much fun with this. I don't think it maybe did as much profound or new as Sam was maybe thought it did for me at okay. least, but I was so here for this, for the performances, like a lot of hoary old sort of Western tropes to it. But I just feel, on the one hand, if you're introducing the Western genre to, say, a sort of more modern generation, like this is a really fucking cool way into that genre. Mm -hmm. And it is so slick and the characters are so great and there's there's great gunplay in there yeah I, it's just it's really propulsive it's not a short film it's like two and a half hours nearly no, two, but it two, whizzed ten. through mm. absolutely whizzed past for me I had a, I had so much fun with this and just all the way through I just had a big grin on my face with the music the yeah. shots because it is as I say just cool as fuck yeah, it, I, I, I really, I really, really like. It. I think it looks incredible. The costumes as well are amazing. Yes. It's incredibly stylish. Mm. Um, I, I did wish. It's my usual thing. I did wish there were actually slightly fewer characters, so we could have had a little bit more time with ones that were there because there mm. were people who felt underserved. I could watch an entire film just about Lakeith Stanfield's yes. character. Like, I just, oh. you know, so, so you were kind of frustrated at times. Every time it would like cut to a new scene, you were like, oh, but I liked him. Oh, no, go back to him. You know, and, <laughs> and then you'd get into that scene and you'd be like, oh, no, stay with them. Um, and, and so that, that was a little bit frustrating at times. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just like an insanely cool selection mm. of people. Zazzy Beats, yes. super cool in this. Jonathan Major's Jonathan really Majors. making oh. the case for himself as a major, mm. major movie star, super charismatic. I know he's, he's been established for a while we've seen him in things since Last Black Man in San Francisco but I feel like you know this is kind of the one that's maybe going to bring him to more people's attention and uh, and that is a good thing Yarp Yarpy Yarp uh, we gave this one four stars four stars then for The Heart of the Fall which is available right now for you on your sofaplex courtesy of Netflix made my top ten of the year next up Spencer the yeah, Frank. The <laughs> some, yes, the Frank some, of, yeah, <laughs> some others to have in prequel. Oh God, no! Uh, this is, of course, the uh, Princess Diana film. Kristen Stewart as Diana, who arrives uh, on her own uh, at Sandringham for the royal Christmas party, and immediately feels out of place, um, put upon, uh, neglected, uh, attacked—you name it. So, um, Major Alistair Gregory, who's the kind of major domo played by Timothy Spall instantly puts her ill at ease. He's taken over the sort of running of the household. Uh, Charles, played by Jack Farthing, is incredibly distant. The Queen, even more disapproving and distant. The only people who are in any way kind of nice to her seem to be uh, Darren, who's the cook, played by Sean Harris, in nice mode rather than terrifying mode. Yeah, what's this about Sean Harris doing like nice characters recently? I, know. I don't understand <laughs> what's happening. And it's genuinely discombobulating. It's making me feel uncomfortable. Mm. I think he might be playing the long con. <gasps> oh no. And, and Sally Hawkins as Maggie, who is Diana's dresser and sort of confident in this. I really, really loved Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. I really adored it. I thought it was fantastic. And I think I still think Natalie Portman should have won the Oscar for that. I thought it was an incredible performance. And the performance here is very good. I think there's a real problem for anybody playing Princess Diana. I thought this in The Crown as well, that if she is such a, a 
particular and very well-known person and the tics are really well-known. The voice, the accent, that incredibly you know posh accent is very particular. The head to one side, the looking up from under the hair, you know, all of this stuff. We know it so well that it is very hard to do a Diana performance that doesn't feel like a parody almost. And I think there are elements of that here because it is quite high camp at times, this film. And I think, you know, there are elements that where she can't quite get to the real human because it all feels so mannered. But I think she she does a magnificent job in terms of the acting. I think she's, you know, she's doing everything she's supposed to. I think my, my issue is more with the direction, with the script, with the writing uh, than it is with Kristen Stewart there. I feel like I've seen so much of this story in recent years. Obviously, the Naomi Watts film, which was dreadful. This is <laughs> significantly better than that. And, and even in the, the series of The Crown we've had, never mind the upcoming series of The Crown, which will cover this exact era, I, I, you know, I don't know how much more I need to know about this woman. And there is an element of me which feels uncomfortable with this, you know, given that her sons are still so, so traumatised by everything that happened. Uh, it, it does still feel a little bit icky actually, mm. to be to be telling her story on screen in uh, as much as we are. So, so yeah, so I was a little bit torn on this one. I didn't enjoy it as much as I expected to. And I did find that Lorraine's approach to the British monarchy was so obsessed with, you know, class and tradition and ritual that I, I almost didn't believe it to that extent. And, and so that took me out of the film a little bit as well. So I was mm. I was a little bit more mixed on this than I think we were. I do think Stuart is magnificent. I do think she mm -hmm. deserves the buzz she's getting for this performance. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the film is as good as it should be. Uh, I agree with that. Love Stuart's performance so, so in the film. I do want to eat a meal prepared, prepared by Sean Harris's character because he is very, very meticulous <laughs> as, as the chef of this thing. And, and that was very funny. I made you a nice <laughs> salad, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> I love rocks. I love rocks, Ethan. The other thing uh, which I had to say, and this will be a surprise to no one, uh, but Johnny Greenwood's score for this film is great. And I know, Helen, for some reason you don't like it. I don't I understand why, but it is awesome. It's jazzy um, and it's got this orchestral tint to it and he melds those two things and it's, it's, it's just, beautiful on the ears. I just find it intrusive in a way that, again, I love him, but it just didn't work for me. Helen, you're wrong. Okay. Wow. We're arguing about everything this week. Come on, guys. Play nice. Uh, we gave this four stars as a magazine. Four stars. James. Hello. You've seen Finch. I have. Talk about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is a film directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who you will know from some of Game of Thrones' more spectacular sequences. Mm -hmm. uh, this the action high point of this film is when an <laughs> RV is inadvertently driven about 10 feet and crashes into a dumpster very slowly at about five miles an hour. So this is, one might say, a slight change of pace for Miguel. Um, it's essentially a three-hander between one man, a robot, and a dog. So this is five Tom stars. Hanks. Right. Five stars. <laughs> Tom Hanks plays Finch. And this takes place in a kind of radioactive future where most of humanity is dead. There are massive holes in the ozone layer. So essentially you burst into flames the second you walk outside. So it's, it's not great. And it's also a slightly unconventional setting for what is essentially a very sentimental feel-good movie. So essentially, it's just him and his dog and no one else. And he is worried, quite understandably, that the radiation is killing him and who will look after the dog once he's dead. Luckily, the man's a whiz with a Lego kit and he builds a robot called Jeff. And 
the idea is he's going to build this robot and this robot is going to take care of the dog once he's gone. And the three of them essentially go on a road trip. And so it's essentially Tom Hanks being as Tom Hanks is full of humanity and just goodness and wholesomeness and trying to instill those qualities in Jeff so that he will be a good robo parent to the dog whose name is Goodyear, played by the dog Seamus. Um, Seamus? Yeah, Seamus is the actual name of the actor dog. That's my dad's name. Sorry. <laughs> Different Seamus. Yeah. Um, so there are some curious things. So Caleb Landry Jones plays Jeff and Jeff the robot speaks with slightly strange Borat accent all the way through. So it's kind of a little bit sort of Stephen Hawking-esque robotic. I, I'm sorry, what? Uh, absolutely <laughs> true. He's a little bit robotic and a little bit sort of comedy Russian. And I don't know if maybe I was projecting that, but it's just, hello, my name is Jeff. Like it's, it's, it threw me a great deal. The sort of, st- I couldn't get the Borat thing out of my head all the way through this, but that, that doesn't take away from the whole film. The, the main thing with this film is it's not a short film. It's a two hour film and it's not a film in which really anything happens. It is an emotional journey where you just grow to love this man and this bond that he has with his dog. It is essentially a post-apocalyptic film about a man who loves his dog. Um, here for it and yeah. if you are there for that if you are there for and it's not I mean it's family friendly to an extent but also not because it's set in a post-apocalyptic future where people try to kill you but it is essentially just this journey of kind of emotional humanity discovery between him and this robot and then the dog played by Seamus I didn't love it as much as Empire did we gave this four stars I it didn't hold my attention as much as that, to be honest. I was a little bit tired of it. That said, if there is any actor in the world who can essentially carry an entire film just on his own wholesomeness, it's it is 100% Landry Jones. <laughs> Caleb Landry Jones. Uh, no, it is 100% Seamus the Dog. And um, no, it is absolutely Tom Hanks. And oh, he really does oh, here. Switch. <laughs> he really does it here. So yeah, it, it is lovely. And it features Borat the Robot, who has servos like Wizard Sleeve. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I hope that's not a line from the movie. Um, all right, four stars then for Finch. Uh, Helen has to get to the airport, so we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, Red Notice, as I said earlier on, which is a big Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot star vehicle that's on Netflix next week hits some cinemas around the country. This week, I'm on. Tell us about Red Notice. Okay, so this is a film in which uh, FBI profiler John Hartley, played by Dwayne Johnson, uh, he's going after Nolan Booth, who is the world's one of the world's uh, greatest thieves. There's Cleopatra eggs involved, uh, but he gets tricked and he goes into prison with Nolan Booth, which is Ryan Reynolds' character, and they have to team up to stop Gal Gadot, who is the master thief uh, that they have to try and stop. Uh, is this film good? Not really. Um, <laughs> Thanks a lot, I'm on. It's just, it's very artificial. There's no stakes, really. Nobody's ever really in danger. They're all on autopilot. There is some chemistry that they have between the three of them, but they're all on autopilot. And everyone is a badass in this film, even though, you know, we, <laughs> we're meant to have FBI profiler. You know, he's meant to be that. He's not meant, you don't think that and think, okay, this guy can kick ass. But mm. he's the rock, so he kicks ass. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is meant to be this world-class thief. And at times he, you know, is very good with the martial arts. And then at times he mm. can't even uh, open up, uh, uh, he, he can't even break a glass to get to the sword. Yeah. Um, but it's just as the scene demands because he's a quippy badass. And they're all badasses for some reason. <laughs> uh, so there's that. But like, yeah, it has some of the worst green screens that I've ever ever seen in any movie the fact that this is netflix's most expensive movie and some of the scenes look that bad 
is a travesty and an embarrassment. Wow. Um, so if we gave this three stars, I would go two. Um, I think it's fun enough just about when you're watching it, but it is extremely immediately forgettable and everyone involved is capable of much, much, much better. All right. We will discuss it uh, next week in greater detail as well. We didn't have a lot of time to get into it this week, but three stars then for Red Notice. Smug, endlessly pleased with itself, trading on past glories. But enough about the Empire podcast. Hey. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and that is it indeed for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film related fun. Where we'll be joined by. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, I love this work. To speak to I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Was... this might be your chance. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Duncan, I don't know, is going to be on the show next week. Uh, yep, I, I, I'm in negotiations with great. a great number of people, which is, makes a change from this week and previous weeks where I had booked everybody. Mm-hmm. True. So, so that's good, right? That yeah. It keeps you in suspense. So that's my, that's my next couple of days, making sure that we have a good guest, good guest for next week's show. But anyway. Anyway, I should have done this much earlier because I'm sure many of you have stopped listening. But if you are still listening, we are going to be doing, in two weeks' time, our very first ever live episode of The Ranking, which is the regular Empire Magazine feature and very occasional podcast (laughs) (laughs) in which four Empire writers get together and argue the toss over a filmography or a series or whatever. And our good friends at Picture House are putting on a Tom Cruise season at their newest picture house, which is Finsby Park, my old manor. Uh, and we are delighted to be doing a Tom Cruise ranking. We're ranking Tom Cruise's movies on Friday, November 19th. Tickets are on sale right now uh, at picturehouses.co.uk. Uh, or you can also look at Empire's uh, social media feeds, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, for more details of how to buy tickets for that it's going to be a lot of fun I'm going to be there Helen's going to be there Amon is going to be there he's just learning that he's going to be there but he's going to be there Highway uh, <laughs> to the picture house <laughs> one of us is going to be sliding on the stage wearing nothing but a shirt underpants and white socks well you weren't supposed to give that away yet <laughs> well that's all to it in fact uh, it's going to be a lot of fun so if you fancy doing uh, coming along to that and uh, yeah getting involved in the celebration of one of the greatest movie stars of all time then buy tickets. There you go. Yeah. There's a hard sell done. <laughs> All right. Uh, because that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, until next time, it is goodbye for my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Someone who has checked out this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much from minute one. <laughs> pretty much. Look, pretty much. These emails aren't going to answer themselves, Chris. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a better way of doing it than me. I just ignore them uh, completely. You do. No, you literally have 68,000 unread emails. Is it 68,000? What is uh, your unread email count? Uh, um, 81,338. It just gives me so much anxiety. I'm not that bad. I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Kind grief. That's just my personal account. Uh, That doesn't even include all the unread emails on my work account, which is about 13,000. I I actually feel a lot better about mine now. Yeah. I have zero. Well, good for you, Helen. How about 12,000? Yeah. The unsubscribe button is your friend. (laughs) I know. It's goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. It's goodbye, of course, from Amon Warman. Peace. Toodaloo. Off to get a plane. A plane. Off to get a plane. 
Oh, yes, I should probably say I'm doing uh, a couple of things at the Belfast Film Festival basically this weekend. So I'm going to be hosting a Q&A with the makers of Mandrake on Saturday. So do come along to that. And on Tuesday, um, I'm I'm being the focus of a Q&A. I'm being asked about my mm-hmm. book. Um, also oh, that's good. Festival. Is it any good? Um, as you know, Chris, you've read it many, uh, many yes. times. Many, many times yeah. have I read <laughs> your book. Yes, I have read Helen's book. And I particularly liked a bit where Hedy Lamar takes out a bunch of guys with a scythe and elbow and uses the momentum of that mm. to do to create yeah. to invent Wi-Fi. To yeah. invent Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, so if you want to go and see Helen uh, be, be, be a focus of that, be very glad that James and I aren't doing a Q&A. But <laughs> I'm doing a Q&A week. next week. That's Are why you? I'm not going to be on the podcast. Oh, there you go. I'm going up to a university in Leeds. He said, a university, because I've instantly forgotten the name of the university. <laughs> I'm doing a talk at, uh, at a... Which one is it? You did it last year, Helen, virtually. Which one was it? In Leeds? Yeah. I don't know. Well, you did it virtually, so I guess it didn't matter yeah. what it was. But anyway, I'm doing that. They couldn't get Helen this year, so <laughs> they went to me instead. So I will be doing a Q&A, bringing my glowing personality. I'm going north of the wall as well. I'm traveling up there. I'm actually going live in the flesh to we the north. We may never see you again. To the north, capital T, capital N. Aye, the north. That's right. Up yeah. in Leeds. The north. Like the John Snow when he goes out beyond the fist of the first men. I beg your pardon? Yeah. I mean, you're not even north of Hadrian's Wall. I'm just saying. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that's my Q and A. I'm going to be talking. Funny, and it's, it's, it's interesting to bring it up because I'm going to be talking about Helen's book. So that's, uh, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Anyway, bye. Bye, 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 Helen. Bye, everybody. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's goodbye for me as well. I'm off to eat a Twix, <laughs> unrefrigerated, of course, whilst listening to the soothing strains of Danny Elfman's theme from Spider-Man Two. <laughs> Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bum 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 bum. Bum 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 bum.